sound some things. We've got a show. Don't worry. We've got a show. Morning, Ian Lee here, BBC Three Counties Radio. I've got enough. I sing to sustain us for three hours. And as always, we'll be good to get your opinions on things. I'll give you the contact details in a, in a few minutes. So maybe just go and get a pen or th- write it down on your phone or something and you can get in touch. And as always, it'll be nice to hear your opinions. Uh, coming up later, the decision is due today on whether computer hacker Gary McKinnon should be extradited. BBC Three Counties reporter Sophie Solaria is at a turkey farm. I've literally no idea why. We'll find out together, shall we? It should be fun. And as pressure mounts to ban smoking in cars, I ask, isn't it time we grew up and we made it illegal? Smoking and driving? Are you for real? There's no one, no one out there that can argue it makes sense to be allowed to smoke while driving. If you want to get in touch on all of these things and more, then you can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or, and this is the best way to do it, you can give me a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Also, we'll talk about this a bit later on. Those blooming Rolling Stones are back together again. The Rolling Stones. I, listen, I offended a lot of you, uh, uh, maybe last week, I think it was, by saying that I think Jimi Hendrix is awful. Jimi Hendrix is awful. He can't play guitar. I never got the Stones. I never got the Stones. Saying that, JVS played their new single, Doom and Gloom, yesterday. Single. <laughs> it's going to be in the hit parade. Uh, and I thought that was actually quite good. And they've done a couple of good songs. Angie is a good song. Um... Start me up's all right, and wild horses. There we go. Those three, those, those three songs, are, they're all right. But the rest of them, you know, this is pretty rubbish. Have you heard Satisfaction recently? What a tinny, tinny sound it's got to. So I've never really got the Stones. I'm, I'm more of a Beatles man. If, if, if we had to, um, to go back to the sixties and pick one, it would, it would definitely be the Beatles. Uh, but the, the Stones are back together. And they're going to be, um, I think they're getting something like £18 million pounds, uh, for four concerts. Something ridiculous like that. Good for them if they're going to do it. But they're all so old. They're all so old. I think the youngest is Ronnie, Ronnie Wood, who looks like the oldest. He's 65. Jagger and Richards are 69. And Charlie Watts is 71. So I was thinking maybe we could create our own Rolling Stones. Because I know we've got a lot of people... Of an age, listening. So what I want is I want a 65-year-old, I want a 71-year-old, I want two 69-year-olds. I want you to call in, you will own the person of that age, and whenever you see Mick Jagger on the telly, you can go, yeah, that's me, I own him. I am Mick Jagger. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now, the Home Secretary, Theresa May, is due to announce today whether she'll halt the extradition to the United States of the computer hacker Gary McKinnon. McKinnon lost four separate appeals, including one to the European Court of Human Rights. Well, we've spoken to his mum, Janice Sharp from Hertfordshire, many times on BBC Three Counties Radio throughout the case. If he loses, he will be extradited and the American process will begin swiftly. Douglas McNabb is an expert in US federal law and international extradition. He explains what could happen to Gary. He's facing five uh, individual charges uh, involving uh, government intrusion using a a computer. And uh, each of those charges carries um, up to uh, a maximum of five years. 
So he's not really looking at 25 years, five times five, because those five transactions, although they're separate transactions, if Mr. McKinnon were ultimately convicted, would, would run together. So he's really looking at up to, uh, up to five years. Mr. McNabb told the BBC just how serious this case is. This is a very formal setting. There's no foolishness. And I, and I would be concerned that an argument made to the court that this was just mischief and really not serious would not play well at all with uh, with any judge, certainly with, with the particular judge that Mr. McKinnon has. And Douglas McNabb believes that Gary hasn't helped his own case so far. If what I read is accurate, that he has admitted performing the act, um, but that he, you know, he there really wasn't the intent to, to, to destroy any, any uh, uh, computers or gather any you know, serious national security issues. Uh, but if, if indeed he has admitted uh, those acts, then the, the government could certainly seek to try to introduce his admission uh, into, um, into evidence. Um, but without sitting down and visiting with Mr. McKinnon and going over the facts with him very closely, uh, I don't know that, uh, that I could say at this point what defense we would want to, uh, we would want to make. You either did it or you didn't do it. And if you didn't do it, then your defense for not doing it is X. But you certainly don't uh, don't argue, well, I did it, but I was just fooling around. Uh, that's an admission uh, that will get one convicted, in my well, view. We will find out later on today, hopefully, uh, whether Gary McKinnon is going to be extradited or not. And um, no doubt at some point in the week we may speak to his mum as well. She came in and was delightful. Um, we'll see what happens. 08459... Four double five five double five is the telephone number. I'm looking for two sixty-nine-year-olds, a sixty-five-year-old, and a seventy-one-year-old. Is that you? Could you give me a call, please? Pete with Mac are getting back together. Oh, I'm excited by that. Very excited. Where did I see it? Was it in the mirror? I can't find it now. They might be playing Glastonbury. Every band might be playing Glastonbury. I've never been to Glastonbury. I'm never going to go to a festival. Why would I want to sit in a field uh, full of hippies smoking dope, uh, being covered in mud, listening to bands? Well, why would I do that? I'd rather sit at home, of course. But uh, Fleetwood Mac are going to get back together with Christine McVie. I saw them a few years ago, and they didn't have Christine McVie. She was sans the Fleetwood Mac. Uh, but they, they're all going to be getting back together. I love a bit of Fleetwood Mac. I used to hate them I, because of that Tango in the Night album, which was just always around when I was a kid growing up. They had that horrible kind of 80s sound. And I thought they were a terrible band. And then someone recommended I buy a book called, um, I think it was Out of the Storms. Oh, something like that. It was written by uh, an ex-girlfriend of Lindsay Buckingham, the guitarist from Fleetwood Mac. What a cracking book it was. It's all about the drugs and the, the arguments and the fights and the spending all the money and having, you know, pink grand pianos lifted up to the penthouse suite so that Stevie Nicks could write songs. It's a cracking book. I thought, oh, I, I should probably get a greatest hits just so I'm a bit familiar with the song titles. And I was sucked in. Go, go your own way, Fleetwood Mac. Is there, a, is there any finer song? In fact, whatever the next song is that we're supposed to be playing, it's gone. It'll be Go Your Own Way. We'll have a little bit of Fleetwood Mac, I think, is what we're going to do. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call this morning. 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, of course, you can email 3CR at bbc.co.uk.
this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. A slight delay there, you may have noticed. I was sourcing Fleetwood Mac on the computer to play as the next song. That's why there was a pause there, dear listener. BBC Three Counties Radio. Right, I'm going to shut up for three minutes and 37 seconds while you enjoy one of the greatest rock songs of all time. Mick Fleetwood is surely the luckiest man in rock and roll, isn't he? He's an average drummer. He's in a band named after him. Hooked up with Peter Green, a brilliant guitarist. He goes. They get a couple of other guitarists. They go. And then he somehow manages to persuade Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham to be in his band. They make one of the biggest selling albums of all time. Man, what a tune, what a tune. Lindsay Buckingham, and that's how it's pronounced, by the way, is an absolute fruitcake. Seriously, you, oh man, he is bonkers. And which film did he write the uh, closing theme to? To listen, which film did Lindsay Buckingham write the closing theme to? I forget, uh, weekdays, uh, after this show finishes, apparently BBC Three Counties still continues to broadcast. I didn't know that either until I had this piece of paper thrust in front of me. And from nine o'clock, there's a young gentleman by, by the name of Jonathan Vernon Smith, uh, who is a, a, a cracking listener. At nine o'clock, he'll have the issue of the day. At ten, he normally has a fantastic guest in. Uh, and from 11, it, it's my favourite bit of the show. I love all that kind of watchdog rogue traders kind of stuff. He, 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 your consumer problems are sorted, and they're sorted blooming well. Sorry, I've just realised I think I smell a little bit. I just caught, caught a whiff of something, and I, I'm thinking, well, who, who's in here that smells? There's only me in this room. I didn't put any deodorant on today. I, that, I know, I know, I didn't. I didn't have any. Um, but I can't smell that badly. I, I mean, I had a shower. Anyway, that's my problem. It's not for you to concern yourself with, dear listener. Now, when you do your weekly food shop, you might have noticed, and I was talking to my sister about this the other day, certain items are costing more. Not just a little bit more, but quite a bit more. And when you add it all up, it's well expensive. Today is World Food Day, and food prices are set to reach an all-time high. The National Farmers Union says that wheat yields are down nearly 15% on the five-year average. It's because of the drought in the spring, followed by an exceptionally wet summer. Well, uh, David Hunt runs Watergate Farm in Hockliffe, which produces turkeys. He says with just ten weeks until Christmas... Excuse me? Ten weeks until Christmas? What? Each bird costing... Oh, that's throwing me. Each bird costing him 7 to 10% more to feed and produce. It's the farmers who are suffering. Well, BBC Three Counties reporter Sophie Solaria is at the farm. Good morning, Sophie. Oh. Good morning. Yes, I thought you'd been eaten by a turkey there for a second. Hello, turkeys. Yep, she just said hello to the turkeys. There they are. That's right. I'm in a turkey shed, Ian. I, can I am tell. indeed. Yep. Okay, so I'm surrounded now, and you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> 600 turkeys surround me right now. That is uh, 1,200 eyes. Can you imagine how scary that is at this time in the morning? I bet it's terrible. It sounds Absolutely awful. Absolutely petrifying. But you know what? They look happy and they can look content. Yeah, well, I suppose that's until around the beginning of December, I guess. Yes. But yeah. David, I'm with David the turkey farmer, David Hunt. Hi, David. So I guess this isn't just your only turkeys. These are 600, but you've got about 5,000, haven't you? That's right, Sophie. As a family farm, we produce about 5,000 of the finest quality um, turkeys for the Christmas market. Wow. I mean, I can't even imagine how you would start to 
well, begin to start. What do you do with these turkeys and when do you do it? I mean, it's, there's thousands of them. We specialise in slow-growing breeds of turkeys, the old-fashioned breeds. The, what the pen we're standing in at the moment are Norfolk Blacks. They're a free-range bird and they have access to the outside. And um, we have our turkeys in in June and July, and, and they are slowly grown, which gives them the best flavour and the best eating qualities. So, with all that care and consideration, it must take you. It must cost you quite a lot to breed and raise them. Is that right? That, that's right. We we produce for quality, not for a price, which, which distinguishes us from the um, mass-produced bird. We're niche um, growers of turkeys. Uh, and we supply the top end of the market. So how much extra have you had to pay out this year then to look after these turkeys? Well, the main cost of producing a turkey is buying the turkey and the food price, and our feed prices have gone up this year by about 15%. Yeah. OK, that's, that's quite a lot, isn't it, really? It, it, it's, 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 a, it's a knock-on from um, poor cereal harvest all across the world. And it's not just uh, the birds that need feeding, of course. You must also be feeding the increase, um, the feeling the increase across the entire farm. Yes, we um, produce a lot of sheep on the farm. Um, we, we, we rear lambs for, um, for, for meat and, and we have a, a breeding flock of about 2,500 ewes. So again, they're, they're, they're going to be cost more to feed this winter. Absolutely. But David, one more question. I mean, at what point do you have to start getting ready, these turkeys ready for Christmas? Um, we, we start processing them at the beginning of December because we game hang all our turkeys, which is the old-fashioned way. All our methods are done in traditional ways, which, which we've done for many, many years. And um, after they've hung for about two weeks, their flavour is absolutely fantastic. And this time next year, will the turkeys have to rise in price to try and uh, save your costs? I think we're looking this year for an increase. We're trying to keep our cost um, of increase down significantly. We're trying to keep our increase down to about 7%. Ian, I'm not joking. With the amount... I don't get up this early as a rule, but... The smell of the turkeys combined with the idea of a turkey at this time. I'm not surprised you're a vegetarian, yeah, exactly. to be honest. It, it makes sense. Sophie, uh, thank you very much. Excellent work there. Sophie Solaria on a turkey farm. She gets all the best gigs. Uh, Rachel Carrington is Senior Policy Advisor for the National Farmers Union. She joins me on the line now. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. Why is the, the food industry is so reliant on wheat? If wheat crops are damaged, then everything becomes more expensive. Why? Well, wheat, of course, is a staple food, not just for bread and flour, but it's, it's quite an intrinsic part of the whole industry. We heard there about uh, poultry, the turkeys. Of course, that's the biggest single cost of production for the poultry industry. So if uh, wheat is in short supply and the price goes up, it affects not just uh, direct products, but, of course, right through many other parts of the, of the food chain and, and the livestock sector. So your meat products as well um, will potentially be more expensive. But, so, but everything in, in the, uh, the, the shops is getting more and more expensive at the moment, isn't it? Yes, I mean, food, food is more expensive. I think um, perhaps traditionally food, food has been cheap and we are now starting mm. to see the real cost of, of food and the cost of production. Is there a solution? Is there anything we can do, uh, Rachel, to, to get those food prices to stabilise a bit or even go down? Certainly from a farming point of view, one of the difficulties we have is, is we are trading on a global market, so it's not just what happens in the UK, but of course what happens to um, cereal harvests throughout the world, and they have had particular problems, particularly with drought in America. Um, we are working with things like research and development to try and get production to be sustainable in difficult conditions and with the impacts of climate change, but we're also working very hard throughout the food chain and trying to, to 
to work with retailers to make sure that if the cost of production go up, it doesn't impact quite so significantly on food prices to the consumer because we're trying to get a sort of better balance throughout the food chain so that actually um, the, the profit that different parts of the food chain make can be sort of fairer so that perhaps the retailers aren't taking quite so much and, and the impacts on the consumer aren't so significant. Rachel Carrington, Senior Policy Advisor for the National Farmers Union. Thank you very much. Now, dear listener, I'm talking to you. What have you noticed has gone up? Can we try and find the biggest price leap in various items, in butter, a bit of milk, loaf of bread? Isn't a loaf of bread expensive? It's not a loaf of bread is so expensive. Let's try and put together a shopping list of all the items that are going up. Which foods are costing you more? Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next half an hour, we took a look at these uh, poor young people that have to resit their GCSE English. Uh, we'll be talking about the PCC debate that was on Roberto's show last night that I listened to. Yeah, I listened to it. I've done my homework and everything. And also, there are uh, more calls to ban smoking in cars. Why is it not illegal already? Of course it should be. I was, I was at some traffic lights yesterday. I looked to my right. There was a horrible, horrible family in there, right? The dad had a fag on. The mum had a fag in her mouth, but she hadn't lit it. And there was a little two-year-old boy in the back. Oh, it broke my... And I, I really felt like saying, Oi! What are you doing? Of course we should ban smoking in cars. It's ridiculous. Using your mobile phone is illegal. Smoking should be as well. 08459 455 555. I can't believe there's anybody listening to this show who disagrees with that obvious basic premise. Smoking in cars has to go. That's uh, the human lit. You don't need to tell you who that is. Well, well, why do we announce when it's an obvious ban? You know who that is. There won't be anyone listening. Hey, what's that great new sound? What? This is amazing. Who, who are these guys? That the, the damn DJ never told us. Now, if you missed the police and crime commissioner uh, debate for the Thames Valley area last night, fear not, I was listening. What do you want to know? Oh, OK. There are five candidates standing at the moment. We heard from them all last night on uh, Roberto's show. Political reporter Paul Scoynes was also listening, weren't you, Paul? Mm. It, w- it wasn't quite as feisty as the last one we had, was it? It was a little bit subdued. Yeah. They were I'm, on their best behaviour. Yes, I agree. I think, you know, the one in Bedfordshire was always going to have a slight uh, frisson of excitement to it. Yes. I think excitement. It was just a, an interesting balance of candidates mm. in Bedfordshire. Not that this, in the Thames Valley, I'm digging myself a hole here, uh, aren't an interesting bunch of candidates. Obviously, just, you know, they are what they are so we had <laughs> i could have stepped in and tried to help you i thought no, yeah, i'm gonna let thanks. him i'm gonna let no, him no. suffer on his own here i'll, I'll get some rope who, next time who is sta- <laughs> <laughs> who is standing uh well we've got a conservative labor uh, liberal democrat we've got a ukip member um so our first ukip uh member of the competition if you like i'm going to call it a competition yeah it's like it's like x factor yeah. for the police it's like strictly come policing <laughs> Um, and an independent as well. Have you so. been drinking this morning? <laughs> no, well, very relaxed. Very, very late night. All right, OK. Um, there were several other independents who were going to stand as well, Ian, but two pulled out, which is quite interesting. Had they pulled out after they paid their £5,000 fee? No. OK, they, no. They, they got the bill and they went, hang on a second. Yeah. This has just got a little bit too Well, one serious. of the independents said that they didn't under... Or both of them actually told me that uh, they hadn't appreciated the size of the Thames Valley area. Right. Um, which was It's huge, isn't it? It is, it is huge. huge. It's a big old patch. Um, which was interesting because one of them was the former ch- or was the chair of the authority. So mm. 
That's his job to know that. What did they have to say for themselves last night? I, I did listen, and I, I thought <laughs> that they were all playing it quite safe. There was lots of... One person would say something, and then Roberto would go to the next person. He'd say, yes, what he just said. Yeah. There was no, there was no one that was coming out, I felt, with, with really strong There was a lot of opinion. Yeah. yeah, there was a consensus in the room, wasn't there? They, they, they were talking about cuts. They talked about whether or not the police are respected, what makes them qualified. And Roberto asked each of them to sum up what they thought was the biggest issue that was on the ground so far. Mm. Now, Barry Cooper of UKIP said it was getting the police to cut red tape. You have to have so many tickets issued for seatbelt offences or speeding in a certain month. They're absolutely insane. They're a drain on resources. Certainly prosecute that when you're in county. Like, in many cases, to, to meet quotas, you'll end up with, like, four or five officers doing a job when they could be out doing something else and affecting something that, that's that's... Uh, happened immediately, you know, a, a petty crime or, or st- helping stops antisocial behaviour. And John Howson, who's uh, from the Lib Dems, he said it was about the clear-up rates where people lived. Clearly, they want their local crime that's committed in their communities uh, by members of their community frequently to be dealt with, and that's a combination between the police and the local authorities. But those unfortunate people who are the victims of other sorts of crimes want those crimes detected and they're not often visible crimes and they're frequently not crimes that putting more bobbies on the beat will do anything about now anthony stansfield who's a conservative and a former army uh, sort of service oh he was very military of, yeah. you could tell oh, yeah. no, he, he was dressed in proper you know fleece no not a fleece what do they call them you're, you're rubbing yeah, your chest. That doesn't help, does no. it? No, the uh, tweed, that was it. Sorry, Excellent. not a fleece. He said uh, that it was traditional crimes which caused the most worry. Um, antisocial behaviour lies at the, sort of the bottom, but is something that worries vastly more people. Household burglary is devastating when it happens to you, and our levels for household burglary in some of our towns, our major towns, have been far too high and our detection rates far too low. But I have to say that over the last year, they have improved remarkably. And Tim Starkey from the Labour Party said it was also about those lower-level crimes. Uh, we have to focus on crimes which are of concern to the public, but also look at crimes which go under the radar and which are underreported, including, for example, domestic violence, including internet fraud and scams where elderly and often socially isolated people are the victims and often repeat victims, but are very reluctant to report what's happened to them. And finally, the independent candidate, Patience Teo Awe, said it was all about maintaining, uh, maintaining sorry, the integrity of the police. If there are complaints, we don't want to hear cases of missed opportunities in Thames Valley. So if we begin to hear things about um, issues that have not been properly investigated, then one has to look into this. And that's one of the reasons why members of the public do clearly agree that it's good to have a police and crime commissioner that's not affiliated to political parties. Well, one of the big issues the winner is going to have to deal with is cuts. It's £55 million in Thames Valley. Yeah, a That's huge a lot. It is a lot. Uh, 20%, that is a quarter of its budget. Wow. It equates to nearly 100 officers, around 400 staff. Did you say 20% a quarter? 20% of their budget, oh, of, said of the, their entire budget. Okay, sorry, I thought you said 20% no, no. that's a quarter, that's a fifth. Yes, that is... Excellent. Just, I, yeah. I'll play the tapes back later on. We'll have them analysed. Did analyze. I say a quarter? I don't know, maybe. 
Continue, as you were. Thank you. Labour's Tim Starkey, he said that technology had to improve. Mm. Um, Why do police officers still write up reports, he asked. Uh, Could you you find another way of doing it that would cut out that link? Uh, Conservatives said uh, that there were lots of crimes that are actually solved in the back office, so don't be too hasty about cutting there, but they could perhaps reduce the number of forms they had to fill in. Uh, The Lib Dems said that they needed to stop bailing people for no reason. If you've got hard evidence, you know that they're the uh, the, the, the perpetrators, if you like, then charge them and get them straight into court. Uh, the bail costs a fortune. And Barry Cooper from UKIP said that police spend too long on politically correct campaigns and initiatives. If it's opt-in or voluntary, stop it. And uh, the Independent said, we have to be committed to use our resources as best as possible. Is there a way of doing things a little bit more cleverly, perhaps a little bit less uh, sort of red tapey? It's like. interesting what you've had to say, but if only there was like a handy 35-second soundbite where all the candidates summed up why anyone should care about this whole election. Well, there is. Wow. Right now, it's good for people to know that this could be the, the most important police reform that will take place in our lifetime, and it's for people to be empowered, okay. so they have well, to come out okay, and Patience. vote for an independent John, candidate. very briefly, do you want to say something? Yeah. It's your police. If you want to say in it, go out and vote on Guy Fawkes plus 10. Tim Starkey. Police force is being decimated by the Tory government's 20% cuts. Moran is at rock bottom. It's about restoring that. Anthony Stanfield. That's five complete, seconds. complete rubbish. The police are doing very well at the moment and will continue to do so. And Barry Cooper. UKIP's a fresh set of ideas. Come out and vote for us and we'll show you what we can do. Well, you can listen again to the debate and see all of those standing in beds, hearts and bucks on our website. Uh, you can visit bbc.co.uk forward slash three counties. And, and Paul, will you be coming in the studio, what, in today plus seven? Yes. Excellent stuff indeed. Thank you very much. Right. Guy Fawkes plus ten. What an odd turn of phrase. There are calls to ban smoking in cars, and it makes perfect, perfect sense. Why, what, smoking and driving? Are you, are you serious? So hang on a second. You're driving this massive killing machine, and you're not focusing on it because you're lighting a fag, and you're holding it in your hands, and you're get, flicking the ash, or you've dropped it. Oh, no, you've got to reach around. Goodness gracious me. Um, ben in Buckingham on the email agrees. As a smoker, people may call me two-faced, but what really grinds my gears is smokers who smoke while driving. They should ban it. It's unsafe, dangerous, and is putting non-smokers in the car at risk. Those that have children in their car should be ashamed, as they are risking their lives too. When I smoke, I do it outside, away from people, as I do not want them to breathe in my smoke. But Tracy, on the, the tweets, you can tweet at Ian Lee or at BBC3CR, she disagrees. No, it should not be banned. Next, they will say ban it at home. People do have rights, but they all seem to be being taken away. Of course, you, should, you shouldn't drive and smoke. It's obvious. It's common sense, isn't it? Ah, the Shirelles. Singing a Carol King song. Yes, we'll have some of that. Yes, please. Thank you very much. Uh, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 455 555. It would appear that none of you are able to defend smoking in cars. It's impossible to defend, isn't it? Of, of course it's ridiculous, particularly if you've got kids in the back. I saw this family yesterday, and it was just heartbreaking. This little boy in the back, he was no older than two and a half, and his parents had both had fags on the go, and I just thought, oh, that's disgusting. But even if there wasn't a kid in the back, you shouldn't drive and smoke at the same time. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. A Bedfordshire head teacher says there has been a crisis of confidence as a result of the GCSE marking fiasco this summer. 
David Bailey at Biddenham Upper School near Bedford says 70 ch- uh, uh, teenagers there will be resitting exams next month. Pupils were unhappy because they believed they hadn't received high enough grades. Reporter Serena Farrow spoke to some of them. My name's Laura Town. I'm at A-level. I got quite good grades, apart from my English was the worst, where I got a D. But the others were above, like C or above. And what were you expected in English? Would you have a projected grade? I think I was predicted at C. My name, my name is Shabazz. I got a D in this exam. I was hoping to get a C, but um, it didn't work out as I wanted to. And I suppose it's, it's like we said, it's learning all that again, isn't it? It's a bit annoying. Yeah, it is. We just thought that well, you do it one time and um, it's over and done with, but by the looks of it, I'm having to do it again. I'm mean, just learning um, all that English over. I'm Ali, and I'm in my last year now. I retook in, in the summer. I, like This time I actually like I revised. I thought I would have passed. But, like the other times, I did I barely showed up to lessons, so I was really disappointed. What were you predicted this time then? I see. And what did you get? D. And you definitely think that's wrong. You felt you were good on the day, yeah. you're on it. Yeah, I found it wasn't really difficult like then, like the other times. I thought I did well, I thought I would have passed. I mean, how yeah. many times have you resat this particular exam? This is the third time now. Yeah, it's disappointing, but I guess we have to then. I have no choice. Did he just say, I think he just said this, I'm misquoting him, I, told him, I barely turned up for lessons, I'm well disappointed. I think that's what he said. Uh, Serena also spoke to the head of English, Douglas Wise. Students work very, very hard, and for them to come out with grades that they don't necessarily deserve seems to me grossly unfair. And they projected at least higher grades than what they got, so that to you smacks of something isn't quite right. Absolutely, and if you look at the grade boundary changes, there were some huge differences there. If... Some of our students had taken the exam in January. Yep, they would have come out with a C grade, or higher, actually, compared to the grade that they got in the summer. Do you not think it's unfair that perhaps it should be the other way around? Those in January should be retaking, not the ones in July? I think there should be consistency. I think that that would be fair. But who are you kind of annoyed at? Is it exam boards? Should you have been told? Both. I think the exam boards, absolutely. But there should have been greater clarity with all of this from, from day one. And they've just been telling me they have to do extra classes as well for the GCSEs, and it's all extra work, really, isn't it? Extra classes, extra work. <laughs> from a teacher's perspective, extra work for you. <laughs> from both our perspectives, yes, indeed, yeah. So where do you go from here? Hopefully they all pass in November. Do you get a bit of a say? Do you look at the papers? There's a big push for the exam in November. We would hope that as many get through um, as possible. Well, thankfully they're able to do what they're doing, but for some people, they're not allowed to progress, are they? They're essentially being held back. It's very nice, I suppose, of the examples to offer a reset in November, but really, perhaps this, this whole fiasco shouldn't have happened in the first place. I don't get this story. Surely the exam board, because the, the argument is that um, the, the, the people who took the exam in January were marked too leniently, and possibly the people who took the exam in June were perhaps marked a little bit too hard. Right? Well, why don't they just mark them the same? Why don't they go back to the exams and reassess the exams? That seems the obvious thing to do, doesn't it? Instead of making the poor young people take the exams again, it's not fair. I think he wrote that song as a joke. Did he write that as a joke? Oh, no, it's a real song. Robbie Williams, Candy. We've had a text that begins, OMG. Let me just look online. Hang on a second. That means, oh, my God, apparently. OMG! The caller who smokes, complaining about rights being taken. What about the rights of the children, friends and family that have to endure their smoke? Uh, and David Lewis says, common sense not to smoke in cars. I agree as a smoker, but what about drinkers, drug takers of prescriptions too? Let me just read that again. Maybe I've missed something here. I'm going to read it exactly as it's written. 
Common sense not to smoke in cars. I agree as smoker, but what about drinkers, drug takers of prescriptions too? Oh, I see. Well, well yes, you shouldn't be drinking in cars. I think that's... We've known that for a while, haven't we? Um, and uh, drug takers. I'm confused, Dave. Give us... David, call up. Explain your point to me. 08459 455555. You, you, th- I'm slightly confused by your text. Maybe it's just me being an idiot. Uh, and it does happen on occasion. Dear listener, I, sometimes I'm very, very stupid. More often than not, I'm bang on the nose. But some, sometimes I'm a little bit thick. And maybe it's uh, two minutes to seven on a Tuesday. I'm not at my finest. Lots coming up in the next hour of the show. As always, your opinion is wanted and welcomed. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I'll tell you what's coming up in a couple of minutes after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I don't, as the Savile story rumbles on, it does amaze me that the BBC is being attacked so much. And not because I work for them. Hey, listen, I've only worked for them for, what, five weeks? I couldn't care less, to be honest. But it does seem a little bit unfair they're getting picked on because things may have happened on BBC property. Hey, guess what, kids? Loads of drugs are taken on BBC property as well. Oh, yes. Go on, go on MPs, write a letter about that, for goodness sakes. Anyway, coming up... On the next hour of the show, we're surprisingly Savile-free. Computer hacker Gary McKinnon will find out today if he's going to be extradited. We're talking uh, about food prices. It's World Food Day. Have you noticed how food prices are going up and up and up? Can you give us a call? We're going to try and compile a shopping list of the prices that have risen the most. What food prices have you noticed? And strip club protests in Amptill, as you heard there, attract 700 people. People, You'll be hearing from the campaigners and the council, and you can have your say as well. 08459 455 555, or you can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, yeah, drugs are taken on BBC property. Oh, yeah, you know Television Centre, MPs, the drugs have been taken there. Why don't you write a letter about that, for goodness sakes? All these letters that these, these MPs are writing, it's going to be investigated. It's not the BBC's fault. Moving on. A computer hacker will find out today whether the government will stop his extradition to the United States. Gary McKinnon, who has a form of autism, illegally accessed American military IT systems. He says he was looking for the evidence of UFOs. Mr McKinnon's case has been highlighted by those who think extradition agreements between the UK and US are unbalanced. Well, we've spoken to his mum, Janice Sharp, from Hertfordshire many times on BBC Three Counties Radio throughout the case. She'll be joining me on the show just after 8 o'clock this morning. But before then, we can speak to... uh, uh, BBC reporter Matt Leach, who has more details. Good morning, Matt. Morning, Ian. A, a, a long-running affair, isn't it? You could say that, indeed. I mean, I can recall covering the story myself at a magistrate's court in 2006, and the first American warrant for Gary McKinnon's arrest was issued ten years ago. Uh, His extradition was ordered by the then Home Secretary five years ago, then there was a series of appeals which he lost, uh, and then in 2008 he was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, and a judge ruled he would be a suicide risk if he was extradited. And the process was all put on hold pending a fresh medical evidence. So where we are today, Ian, is that the case sits on the desk of the Home Secretary, Theresa May, with a decision due within a matter of hours on whether she'll halt the extradition on human rights grounds. Gary McKinnon, he's never denied doing it, has he? 
No, that's right. I mean, he readily admits hacking into dozens of Pentagon and NASA computers, but claims he was merely looking for information on UFOs. If he is tried in the US, then theoretically he could face tens of years in jail, although I heard an American lawyer saying overnight that in reality it might be more like five years in total, but still a substantial amount of time. And uh, Gary's mother, uh, Janice Sharp, you are mentioning uh, from Hertfordshire, mm says he's been living like a zombie we can hear a little bit of a now living like a zombie and the waiting is a frightening time for him he can't speak he's tense his eyes are full he's, he's tearful he's lost 10 years of his youth he's lost 10 years of his life he is not allowed to go online he has no outlet he has no life we've had so many ups and downs it's so hard it's so incredibly hard you can hear just how upset she is in that, yeah. but she's she's just complained also generally, in about the whole extradition process, saying extradition should stop fugitives escaping justice, not allow British citizens to be yanked around the world. And finally, Matt, does a decision today by the Home Secretary bring an end to the matter? Will that be it? Well, as I understand it, not necessarily amazingly, because, um, you know, her lawyer, his lawyers have been saying today they're absolutely convinced that it will go in their favour, that she will stop extradition. But if she didn't, if she allows the extradition to go ahead, then it's possible that lawyers for Mr McKinnon could apply for a judicial review to challenge the decision. So we could theoretically be back in the courts again. Fantastic. Matt Leach, thank you very much, our reporter there, and uh, both Gary McKinnon's mum and his lawyer will be on the show with me just after 8 o'clock. 08459 There are calls to ban smoking in cars, make it illegal. Do you remember pubs? There are kids, there are people now who will not remember smoking in pubs. And I don't really go to pubs, but I think there should be an opt-in, opt-out option with pubs. I think that the pubs, if they want to they should be allowed to have smoking. And I think something died uh, in this country when, when smoking was banned completely in pubs. But I do believe it should be banned in cars. Uh, you, you, certainly if you've got kids in the cars, you shouldn't be allowed to smoke in the car because that's just... You're just killing your kids. Fact. Um, but also, even if you haven't, you're not focusing on the driving. If you've got fag on... You're not focusing, are you? And in St Albans has texted him, 81333, starting a text 3CR. Surely if you can be fined for eating at the wheel because it's unsafe, you can be fined on the same grounds for smoking at the wheel. Isn't it just a matter of police unwilling to prosecute this? Um, 08459 455 555. Isabel is in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Isabel. Hello, Ian. Well, what's, what's your take on this? Should we ban smoking in cars? Yes, we should. Why, why do you think so? Well, nine years ago... My cousin was going from work from Oxford to Banbury, yep. where he lives with his wife and that, and he was driving along, and an HDB lorry drives past him, and next thing he knew, it had gone into the side of him. The driver had dropped a cigarette, and he looked oh. away for two seconds, and he went straight into my cousin's car. So your cousin was in a car? Yeah. Uh, and the HDB driver, puffing away, having a little cigarette, and he, what, he dropped it and had to reach down... Yeah, he looked away for two seconds and went straight into the car. My cousin is now in a wheelchair. Oh, my goodness. What injuries did your cousin sustain? He broke his back. Um, he just... Now he just can't walk or anything. My... Well, Linda, his wife, she does everything for him. What happened to the um, HGV driver? Oh, he more or less got a knock on the knuckles. He didn't go to prison didn't or anything. Prison. Did he get a no. fine? 
Yeah, he got a fine. A few grand. Well, a few hundred pounds, and no. that was it. Really? Yeah. 800. 800 quid for putting yeah. your cousin in a wheelchair? That was nine years ago, yeah. Well, Isabel, listen, if there is anybody listening who thinks that I'm being, you know, all kind of fascist by saying we should ban smoking in cars, your one argument proves that we need to do it. If one person has been seriously injured, as your cousin has, then that's a strong enough argument for banning it, isn't it? It is. It is. He can't run around and play football with his son. He couldn't do any of that. Mm. It stopped him because they just had a little belt, little boy. Mm. And he planned to join his, join his life with him, but he couldn't. One of the joys of being a parent, as I know, I've got two little boys, is running around with them, picking them up, throwing them around, all those things. And, uh, of, of course, you, you can be a parent in a wheelchair. Of course you can. But to have that taken away yeah. through something so trivial and so stupid. Yeah, all he was doing was driving on the inside lane. Yeah. And Laurie overtook him and next thing he he said he can't remember and that's what it was. It was because he dropped a, a cigarette and he's trying to put it out. He admitted it and he looked away just for two seconds. Isabel, thanks very much for getting in touch. That's all right, you're there, welcome. There we go. Now, there can't be anybody listening who disagrees that we should ban smoking after hearing that. If one person has been seriously injured, as they were then, then it's got to be banned. We, we have to ban it, don't we? We have to ban it. 08459 455 555. I would love to smoke to, uh, speak to smoke. I'd love to smoke. Oh, there's a Freudian slip. I did used to be a smoker. I would love to speak to someone who uh, thinks that actually, you know, hey, listen, you're taking away our human rights, man. It's my human right to smoke where and when I want, because that phone call there has totally destroyed your argument. Totally. 08459 455 555. Uh, don't forget, between three and seven weekdays, Roberto Peroni um, will be on BBC Three Counties Radio. The best stories from across the three counties. Roundtable discussion from 6pm. Where are we? Tuesday today. So tonight from six is business and finance. That's Roberto Peroni weekdays from 3pm on BBC Three Counties Radio. We've got two minutes before the travel, which I think is time just to have a little look at the front pages, shall we? The Guardian. Oh, look, Scottish independence. There's going to be a vote on Scottish independence. I was going to ask this morning, is anybody... Is anybody that bothered by it? By this whole vote? There's a big... It was all over the news yesterday. I, I, I don't think... Obviously, I'd imagine some of the Scots are a little bit bothered by it, but it affects us as well in England. Are you bothered by this, this whole vote on Scottish independence? I tried to get excited yesterday. I've got Scottish heritage. I tried to get excited, and I couldn't. I don't see how it would affect us. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five, and also three and a half thousand military staff join arms firms. The Telegraph: How new job can hit your pension? High fees and poor returns at some employers could leave workers who move their saving pot savings pot thousands out of pocket. And also, there's a picture of the Rolling Stones. We're trying to recreate the Rolling Stones, and you had a sixty-five-year-old, two sixty-nine-year-olds, and a seventy-one-year-old. Is that you? Could you give us a call? You can own one of the Rolling Stones. And when I say own, I don't mean legally own. But whenever you hear a Rolling Stones record or see them on TV, you can go, that Mick Jagger, he's 69, same age as me, I won him on the BBC. That's right, we're giving away the Rolling Stones today. Right to Leveson about that, MPs. The Independent, Cameron Brooks and the emails kept from Leveson. And women of the world unite behind uh, Pakistani girls shot by the Taliban. This is an incredible story of uh, Malala Yousafzai, who's 14, 
were shot in the head by the Taliban. That's what the, that's what the Taliban are scared of. 14-year-old girls with books. Yeah, that's what terrifies them. Uh, the Times, MPs to question BBC boss on decision to drop Savile report. The Daily Express, Britain's first step to EU exit. Government to claw back 130 powers from Brussels. And Esther Ranson looking gloomy. Savile scandal could ruin my life's work. The Daily Mail, breast cancer time bomb fear. That's a terrifying headline, if ever there was one. The Sun has got a picture of two celebrities. I've no idea who they are, but apparently they're getting back together again. Good for them. And the Daily Mirror, oh, this is another sad story. My children, my children. Dad screams as he sees family die in arson, arson blaze horror. Yeah, I did just say arson. I meant arson. Now, when you do your weekly food shop, have you noticed how expensive some things are? What's the, what's the biggest, can we find the biggest um, increase in price? I've just had a, a, a tweet that a supermarket's value pizza has gone from £1 to £1.50. And mince has gone from £2.10 to £2.79. Now, well, it's a, oh, it's an increase of 69 pence. It doesn't sound like a lot. But when you add it up with everything else, it does become quite a bit. What, what have you noticed? What foods have you noticed going up? Let's try and find the biggest increase in prices. 08459. Four double five, five double five. Today is World Food Day, and food prices are set to reach an all-time high. The National Farmers Union says wheat yields are down nearly 15% on the five-year average. It's because of the drought in the spring, followed by an exceptionally wet summer. Well, when money is short, you may attempt to grow your own food. I did it a couple of years ago. Oh, it was a blooming nightmare. It was a nightmare. I had soggy potatoes and squishy uh, onions. It was, uh, uh, never again. Well, Jim Stevens is a bit more successful than me. He's an allotment holder and treasurer of Luton Federation of Allotments and Leisure Gardens Associations. He says it's not been that easy this year. We had a problem with germinating our seeds through March, April and May. And this meant that I was sowing, in fact, I sowed my beetroot three times and my runner beans twice before I got any resemblance of a crop. This year I probably had, on the apple tree, only one main apple that I could eat. Everything else dropped off or was killed. And also with the pears, I had 12 pears instead of 72 pears on my little pear tree. There you can see the failure of the climbing French beans. There is just a few. And that's all there is. To us, it's a joy to be able to have an allotment to work on because not only are we producing stuff for our own kitchens, when we have anything spare, we can give it to friends and other people so that they've got the joy of having fresh food. But it, what is, uh, it's not frustrating, it's annoying that you haven't got the, qu- the quality and the quantity of what you've had in previous years. Well, it's as like Jim's not doing much better than I did. It sounds like an absolute nightmare. There is nothing better than having homegrown food for your lunch. My in-laws have a little kind of... Where well, they grow food. What do they call it? A garden. That's it, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and they get spinach and tomatoes and all those kind of things. And there is, it is something very satisfying about eating, uh, you know, y- your supper. And there's something that's grown in the back garden. But it's blooming hard work. We told you last uh, week that more than 45,000 students are to resit their English GCSEs next month after a row about grades. Well, now Bedford Borough Council says it's going to take legal action. They say the problems have caused pupils unnecessary stress and work as they'll now have to resit their exams next month. 70 students from Biddenham Upper School are among those affected. Both Luke and Anna go to the school and they spoke to our reporter, Serena Farrow. I'm on the A-level course. I'm quite lucky in the fact that the school accepted me without English or maths at grade C. Wow. But is that under the... 
premise that you, you get them now, essentially. Yeah, and the fact that I got uh, over eight above the C grade in other subjects. Sent it off to BB Mark, the school paid for it, but there was no change in my grade. It stayed the same number of marks and the same grade. How did you get a remark and some people didn't? Yeah, the school would pay for a remark if you were, I think it was five marks close to the grade boundary that would changed. Yeah, it's quite strange doing the A-level course and then having to go back to do two retake lessons for the two subjects that I failed. It's a large step between lessons, taking both maths and English in November, but I was uh, keeping on top of that while keeping on top of A-levels at the same time. And that's how many extra two classes a week? Uh, Yeah. Actually, did you have to go to the class as well then? Yeah, it's two lessons a week and then you get private studies, I think, for people that do English or maths retake as well. So that's practically four lessons a week added on. I saw a not very good grade in English coming, but it was a bit disappointing realising how low I was in the scale of it. A bit angry at the exam boards for changing them without notifying, really. Takes away the premise of the exams. If they had told us, we would have been able to maybe revise a bit more or just add on that little bit more of hard work to get the higher grade. Well, Chris McGovern is from the Campaign for Real Education. It's a group which presses for high standards. Morning, Chris. Good morning. How did this happen? Well, what happened is that uh, Ofqual, which is the body which regulates exams, made a mistake in January. Um, they were too generous in giving out marks to children, and they had to rectify that in the summer, which is a fiasco, absolutely. It's, it's gone wrong for those children. But what I would like to say is that the underlying problem is really that we've had 25 years of grade inflation, and uh, in the summer, the government were trying to put that right. They did it very badly. Mm. The underlying problem is still there. You know, it's interesting that Bedford are going to the courts, but these people, Bedford, the trade, the unions, the teachers, they've said nothing in the tw- last 25 years as we've had grade inflation. It's only now when, for the first time, we've had a bit of deflation and the results got slightly worse that we've had this huge row. But I, I'm, I'm surprised, amazed almost, that in the last 25 years, the problems of examination inflation has not been addressed. Is, it, is there actual evidence that there has been grade inflation and it's not just pupils getting better? It's absolutely, the evidence is overwhelming because we've had a massive improvement. 98% of children who take GCSE get a pass. That's an A to G pass, not an A to C. But internationally, uh, our position in league tables against other countries has fallen pretty dramatically. All parties accept now there's been great inflation and the government are trying to do something about it. Unfortunately, they've handled it really badly because they have been unfair on these particular children. What I don't understand about this particular case is that these, these poor people have got to um, resit their exams. Why can't they just regrade them using the same standards they did for the January exams? Well, you're absolutely right. And the reason I guess, I'm only guessing this, that why they won't do that is because they realise that in January inflation was getting more and more out of control. Mm. But really, you can't do it this way. I think those children needed to be treated in the same way as the children who sat the exam in January. Yeah. Uh, it's a big, big problem, but the government are trying to address it by introducing an entirely new exam in a couple of years' time, which I think is a good thing. It's, going to, it's being hailed as a return to sort of O-level style exam, where the emphasis is on an exam and not coursework. Why do you think that's such a good idea, Chris? I think, in the, on the whole, it's more rigorous. And I have to say that it is a return to O-level, but O-level never disappeared. O-level is still uh, produced in England, and we sell it abroad. So, for example, in successful economies like Singapore, 80% of children there do the O-level. 
And it's incredible that we ban the O-level currently in this country, but sell it to our economic competitors. So I think it's a good thing that we're going to have O-levels back again. Personally, though, at the campaign for real education, we'd like to see choice. We wouldn't get rid of the GCSE, mm. we'd just introduce the O-level, lift the ban on it, so it's there and it's available for schools and for those very able children who are suited to it. That's interesting you offered, you, you, you would go for choice, and I, I, I kind of agree on that, because I am not... Uh, I consider myself quite bright, but I'm not an exam person. I, I just fall to pieces in exams. I can't work under that, in that structure. But whereas the GCSE, with a bit of coursework and a bit of an exam, was a little bit better for someone like me. Yeah, probably that's true. That's why we do need the choice. The important thing, though, is that uh, this, this body called Ofqual, who regulate exams, they should make sure that exam standards are maintained from one year to the next. And what's happened in the last 25 years is that we have seen this great inflation. We want GCSE to have credibility. But ultimately, it's really up to universities and employers mm. to decide which exams they, they, have, they believe in, if you like. So let children do GCSEs, let children do O-levels, let them do the International Baccalaureate, and let the universities and the employers decide which ones they want. Chris, which, what grades did you get for your O-levels? My O-levels? Yeah, do you remember? Well, I, well I, I did get some. In those days, we had grade ones, you Ooh, know? Oh, blimey. So, yeah, so we are going back a long way. And actually, I'll tell you another story. I yeah. did take a GCSE a few years ago in a foreign language. I did get an A star for that. Now, you've mentioned this before. You took it in Italian. We have spoken before on this. Yeah, but yeah. then what I wanted to pick you up on was, you live in Italy. Uh, I don't, actually. No, I've got a holiday home over there. Okay. That's why I did that. That's why I did it. Really for pleasure, I have to say. But, but, but you, you took an exam for pleasure, Chris? Well, you know, yeah. You, when you, when you get old, you, you do strange things, <laughs> don't you? Chris, thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. Thanks very much. Chris McGovern there from the uh, Campaign for Real Education. Um, bringing back, uh, want to bring back proper exams, and they're, they're coming back, whether you like them or not, uh, dear listener. We're talking about smoking in cars. Um, let's go to Steve in Dunstable. Morning, Steve. Hello, good morning. We should ban smoking in cars. No, you can't keep banning things, can you? If people want to smoke in the car or whatever, that's up to them. It's not down to us or the law to put a law on it. I mean, we're supposed to be a democracy. Having all these laws, we're not a democracy, are we? Well, we, we are. We vote, we vote for these, the, the parties to make the laws. laws. <laughs> you have to, to have a, a successful democracy, you have to have laws. Yeah, but hold on, hold on. Do we ever vote on the laws that are passed? No, we don't. We've only put a party in that makes them without our consent. That's so what that's demo- democracy is. Well, no, that that's, is what democracy no, is. That's a definition of democracy. No, that's an indirect democracy. That's not a thought. Anyway, about floating the cards. Listen, at the end of the day... No. They're human. If people want to do it, all right, it's not nice. But you shouldn't put a law on it. It's ridiculous. We heard a, st- a caller earlier on whose um, cousin was was crippled as a result of an accident because yeah, I, I the mean, driver that's, that's was smoking. Bad and, you know, <laughs> well, it is bad. I'll say it is bad. But then yeah. the days, I mean, you ban mobile phones. People still drive mobile phones. People still do it. Well, it they should. Sh- but it should be. We should clamp down on it. Shouldn't we? Just because they still people still murder Steve. But it, we shouldn't. It's illegal. Yeah, but some people deserve it. <laughs> Depends what they've done, doesn't it? <laughs> some people deserve murder. Well, some people... Stephen Dunstall, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Completely invalidated your entire argument there with that nonsense at the end. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. Uh, if you want to give us a call... I'm enjoying it this morning, maybe a little bit too much. We've had a, t- a few texts on smoking. I'll just do one of them. Ian, you stated that smoking in cars, it's killing your kids. Fact. No, not fact. Watch Penn and Teller's episode about smoking and then do some research on their findings. Well, I'm not going to watch a show by two magicians about passive smoking, to be honest. It does. If you're smoking and your kids are breathing in the smoke, that's killing them. Fact. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. That was Catherine with The Real News.
not the travel news. Apologies. Uh, in the next half an hour, more on this Amptill uh, lap dancing protest, food prices, uh, and let me just go, go through a couple of these texts uh, uh, about smoking in cars. Uh, Louise says, I agree that smoking in cars must be banned. I'm an ex-smoker and used to smoke while driving. Major lack of concentration. And don't get me started on parents smoking with babies and kids in the car. It does strike. I, I did see it the other day and I felt so sorry for this poor little kid in the back seat with his, both his parents had fags on the go. Gary and Luton, Ian, I see we're back on the persecution of smokers debate. Again, yes, as tragic and avoidable as the accident was, we had a caller early on from um, someone whose cousin was put into a wheelchair because of uh, someone smoking and driving. There are many similar accidents caused by momentary lapses in concentration, even listening to the radio. Should that be banned as well? How many non-smoking drivers have had scary close calls through a lapse in concentration and thought that was close? The answer is all of them. But yes, Gary, you're right. Of course, we've all had that uh, moment. We all blimey, we nearly hit something there. But we should take away as many of the things that are causing those lapses in concentration. Smoking, you've, not, you've, you've got a hand that's holding a cigarette. You're not holding the steering wheel properly. For goodness sakes. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. Now, more than seven hundred people staged a protest in Ampthill last night against a new lap dancing club. The venue has already been given a licence to operate by Central Bedfordshire Council. Councillors were handed a 2,000 signature peti- petition during the demonstration. It requests a review of the lap dancing club's licence as soon as possible. Our reporter, Victoria Cook, was at the protest last night and spoke to some of the residents. We are here to send a loud and unequivocal message that the council have failed us, that the club is not welcome here, and neither are its potential customers. Madam Carsky, why you're here? I'm here because I have three daughters, um, and I don't want to bring them up in a community which condones the kind of establishment that, that is um, just granted a license. What did you think of this evening? I thought it was fantastic. A really good show of public opinion, of local opinion. How did you feel when you learned that this actually was given a license after your original protest? Absolutely appalled. In fact, we couldn't believe it, could we? It damages and the reputation of the town as well. Prime location, Market Square. We're not, we're not prudes, but why there? I don't think it's a case of not being in our backyard. I think it's a case that it's not appropriate for a, a place where young young children are, where young children play. Uh, it's a centre, a meeting point for our town, and it is just again, it's not an issue of us not wanting it, you know, uh, here. It's just it's not appropriate for our town in mm. this location for our children. It's Do you think so- that the sheer show of numbers this evening will make a difference well we can hope can't we we can certainly hope it will make a difference and that's what we've come for to say we disagree with this and if we'd had an inkling that it was going to actually be agreed uh, upon we would have come out sooner and done this but Mm. i think everybody thought this will never happen in the middle of amptill it can't possibly be allowed and and the council allowed it and it's, it's outrageous I mean, it's absolutely disgusting. In a town like Hampton, lovely Georgian town, right in the middle of this Georgian town where you've got children passing, that we should have a sex establishment. But let's make no bones about it. That's exactly what it is, a sex establishment. So, really, really against this, totally. Do you think you guys coming out here today is going to make any difference, though? Yes, I do. I believe in democracy. I believe in the power of the people. It's happened before, and I'm sure it'll happen again. Let's just hope the powers that be listen to us. Well, joining me on the line is Matthew Deer from the We Love Ampthill campaign group. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning to you. The club's been given a licence already, so what difference is your protest going to make? 
Well, in some respects, that's the point. Now that it's been given a licence, there's relatively little the council can actually do to rectify the situation, which is why we think they should have taken significantly more care than they did in the first place when they considered the application. There are things that they can do, and uh, we hope that they will do them. But our protest was really just that. It was our ra- us raising our voices, saying we are not happy that the council has failed to represent local people's views in this way and have allowed a licence for something that the overwhelming majority of people in the town, as was demonstrated last night, don't want. So you, you appreciate that perhaps there's nothing you can do and you're not hoping to get the club closed down as a result of this protest? We are hoping that its lifespan will be very short and there are various ways that that can happen. There are various ways that the council can help and we hope that they will do their duty uh, and do that as soon as possible. But um, in terms of actually revoking the licence, it's very difficult indeed. As, as I say, that's why they should have taken more care in the first place. Why are you so against the club, Matthew? Um, Well, it's very difficult to speak personally. Uh, Everybody has different reasons why they oppose it. Some people are opposed to this sort of venue um, in totality. Um, I think the one thing that unites everybody involved in the campaign is that we don't want it there. It's quite frankly the wrong place for this kind of venue. It's um, a residential area because it's such a small town. The entire town is a residential area. It's a gateway to the town. It's one of the prime locations. It's opposite a toy shop and it's adjacent to a children's ballet studio. I can't think of a, a less suitable place for a license and if it wasn't possible to refuse this one it surely isn't possible to refuse one anywhere on the grounds of location but it being opposite a toy shop it, it, it will be open in the evening the toy shop will be open in the day so there won't be any you know you won't you won't have young children going into the toy shop as you know men are going in to see nudie women will you no of course not and, but, it won't be, you, and it'll all be kept behind closed doors as well you won't see anything on the street that's absolutely true, and, but um, most people are completely unhappy with the association. We all know what goes on in there. Um, children are asking, as the works are going on to the building, what is going to go on in there, and we're having to explain to them as tactfully as possible what the venue is going to be. And the point about the toy shop is well made, um, but the other point is that the, the children's ballet studio is open for two hours during the licence mm. period of the club in the evening, and that the people going to the studio will have to walk past the door of the club to go between the car park and the dance studio. Okay, Matthew, um, stay, Matthew stay there. We've got Jamie James, uh, James Jamieson, sorry, is the leader of Central Bedfordshire Council on the line. Morning, James. Good morning. You've been handed a, a petition, 2,000 signatures on it. Is it going to change anything? Well, I have to say, you know, I am extremely disappointed about this uh, lap dancing club uh, being in Amptill. I and I think all our fellow councillors do not want it, and uh, we why, have to why agree give with the then? It's inappropriate. Well, the unfortunate thing is that we are obliged to follow statutory uh, guidance and procedures on licensing applications, and, and whether we like it or not, if those criteria are met, we have no option but to uh, to grant a license. And I think one of the things that I, I really would like to emphasise here is where there is a situation where they meet the criteria, if the authority does not grant the license, there will be an appeal to the magistrate's court. And one of the things we did manage to do in this is put in a lot of fairly stringent conditions, which I am adamant we will enforce. For example, give us a couple of them. Well, there's a whole series of, you know, no signage uh, outside, no lights, that uh, the windows can't be obscured black, they've got to be uh, just plain blinds behind it, there have to be a number of bouncers there. But James, are you you saying that the... the, the, I find this surprising, that the council doesn't have the right to decide what businesses go in their high street. If that's something you feel is inappropriate, you can't stop it being there. Unfortunately, with uh, legislation, this happens in a number of areas, also in planning, we cannot represent our residents uh, as much as we would like and just say no. We actually have to go through the laid-down legal criteria and, you know, unfortunately, if it ticks the boxes, whether we like it or not, 
we're obliged to uh, 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 pass it, and, and if we don't, then there is a right of appeal to the applicant. And the big risk here is, you know, had it gone to a magistrate, a number of those conditions which uh, certainly mitigate the situation may very well have not been enforced. Round the corner from a kiddies dance school, opposite a toy shop, down the road from the church, is that appropriate? I, I've already said, you know, we don't think it should be there. Mm. But, you know, we have to go on the criteria laid down. That's not our choice. you going to put pressure on the, the government to change the law? Well, we, we, we have spoken to uh, many of our MPs about localism uh, on a wide range of subjects, and I have to say they are all supportive of us. And certainly, you know, Nadine Doris is you know, very much keen that, uh, you know, we do have genuine localism and we do she have... She was against the protest last night, wasn't she? Well, I, one of the points that she made, which I think is valid, um, is that, you know, it does add more publicity for Mr Shaler. But I think it's absolutely right that, you know, the public should show their voice. She just said Mr Shaler is the gentleman that owns the club, and we've been trying to get him on the show, and uh, he, he is, has not come on yet, but surely it's, the, it's everyone's right to protest, isn't it, if they don't like something? Oh, absolutely right. A bit dismissive of, of uh, Mrs Doris to say, don't do a protest, it, it, it works in the, their favour. Well, I mean, that is a risk that you generate publicity for this venue, which uh, I don't think anybody does Matthew, want. Matthew, from, from We Love Amp's Hill, Matthew, you're listening to James there, he's from the council, there's nothing they can do, they don't like it either. You're stuffed, aren't you, now? Well... Frankly, there are a lot of lawyers in Amptill, and I've not spoken to a single one who agrees with the analysis that was given. I mean, we're prepared to accept that they may have been acting in good faith, uh, and we do acknowledge that there are lots of stringent conditions attached to the licence. But frankly, I've not spoken to a single lawyer, and I've spoken to a lot of lawyers, who say that they didn't have the power to refuse it, and not only that, but they couldn't have won an appeal um, had they chosen to fault one, had they had the cojones to take up residents' opinions and fight it. Um, there's always a risk that you're going to lose, but we don't think that they would. As I say, I mean, if you can't refuse it there, you can't refuse it anywhere. James, you haven't got the gajones. You should have fought it. You would have won. Uh, you know, we also took legal opinion, and legal opinion is exactly that. Uh, it is an opinion, and we, you know, must... Well, surely, James, if, if people are so upset by this, and if, if there are different opinions, l legally, if it's not clear-cut, surely you should have at least had a go in, in defending well, everyone, shouldn't you? You know, this is, again, you've got to go back to how the decision is made. There's a licensing subcommittee that evaluates all, all the uh, submission and comes to a view. This isn't something that's done by the whole council or has some political interest. Surely you should have fought it. If you're so against it, James, and you know that the, the residents are, are against it, you're their council. Surely you should have fought it. <laughs> well, that's precisely what we are doing. But when you come to the licensing committee, you must obey the rules. Uh, that are laid down. Matthew, described. they're just obeying the rules. Well, that's the well-worn line that we're getting. But as I say, um, we, our analysis of the rules is, is not that. Our analysis of the rules is that they had more than adequate grounds to refuse this licence. Um, the application violated five out of the council's own six published um, reasons for refusing such a licence, which is backed up by the law. That's the 1982 Local Government Miscellaneous Provisions Act. Uh, and frankly, we think they could and should have fought it on our behalf. James? Yeah. We did look at it, or rather the licensing committee did look at it. I think the important thing that we're at now is that we must endeavour to enforce every one of those stringent conditions. And I would ask the members of the public, you know, to be very observant. We have already had from our local ward councillors a couple of issues that we are now chasing up with regard to enforcement already, and that's prior to the club opening. And that's what we need to do. We need... As, as the public, to make sure that every condition is adhered to, uh, and there is no wiggle room. Matthew, do you feel, Matthew, do you feel let down by the council? <clears throat> we do feel let down by the council. Um, what we're looking for them um, to give us now is guidance on what we can do. Um, uh, we, as you say, we, we're, we're stuck now, 
uh, we're stuck with this license, um, but we really are relying on them to tell us how we can fight it and tell us how we can make the lifespan of this club as short as it can possibly be. Okay, well, listen, Matthew Deer from uh, We Love Ampthill and James Jamieson, uh, leader of the Central Bedfordshire Council. Thank you very much. Fascinating. If you've got an opinion on this, maybe you think it's a cracking idea. We did try to get Mr. Shaler uh, on the line or on the show. Uh, we've not been able to um, get him to agree to come on uh, and talk about it yet, but he's, if he's listening now, more than welcome to come on and, uh, uh, and have a little chat with us and our listeners. 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Should smoking be banned in cars? I'll tell you the answer. Yes, it should. of course it should. The smoke-free private vehicles bill are looking to ban smoking in cars, and it's being considered by MPs. It means if you were caught smoking in your car with a child in it, you'll be sent on a smoke-free awareness course and could get a £60 fine. Double that, triple it. Times it by ten, make it £600. Our reporter, Sophie Solaria, has been out to see what you think. I, I think it's ridiculous to ban it. But do you smoke in your car? Yeah. What about passengers? Do you do you smoke no, when you've smoke got? There's a non-smoking passenger. Yeah, well, I don't really smoke in my car. I do smoke, but um, yeah, not when I'm driving. Why is that? Uh, I just get too many cigarette burns in the backs of the seats. So it's not so much a health issue. No, not at all. Sir, would you smoke in your car? No. Why is that? Because it could be a distraction on the road. So you think it should be banned? Mm. Yes. Cigarette burns. Oh, dear. Is it the 1970s again? Well, Andrew Bendeffi is a life coach in Hertfordshire who helps people to quit smoking. He not only thinks smoking should be banned in cars. Andrew, you take it a step further. You ban it in houses, too. Well, it's interesting. There's a whole area where, um, in addition to the health risks, there's the habits that children build at an early age. Mm. Um, There's also the areas around... uh, research that showed um, increase in meningitis, in asthma, in health difficulties. Um, and at that age, individuals don't have a choice to... Um, the children have an, an opportunity to make the choice themselves. And it's, it's a way of kind of reducing problems from happening later on. I'm a single man. I live alone. I don't, but you never know what, what could, yeah. what's around the corner. <laughs> I should be allowed to smoke in my own home on my own, shouldn't I? Is that OK? Yeah, if you're on your own, yeah. absolutely. Okay. You know, I mean, it's where people have free choice, and, and I suppose it's that element of free choice. Mm. And in, in addition to the work I do around coaching, there's a whole area of kind of psychotherapy and the, the subconscious level of, you know, when, when children are born, they don't have habits or beliefs. Where do they get them from? Mm. The people they live with. So if they grow up with a habit of smoking then you know what's the chances of them picking up the phone we've had some angry uh, people uh, th- this morning andrew who's saying that it's it's all this nonsense about banning smoking in cars you're taking away our human rights why should we ban smoking in cars i suppose the decision was made 10 years ago when they banned it in taxis mm. and in work vehicles so for the very same reasons it was taken at that time um could, the same ones could be used to support it now it is a distraction, isn't it? I, 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 I've seen people lighting up fags and, uh, uh, you, you know, there will come a time in the future when that um, uh, cigarette lighter, is, people will be saying, hey, do you remember when cars had cigarette lighters built in and ashtrays? Yeah. It does seem like an old thing, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's curious, isn't it? In the same way, I suppose, hands-free uh, telephones, you know, and uh, the whole industry which suddenly went in to, to ban people using the phone whilst they're in the car. Mm. Um, yeah, people are allowed to use both hands or one hand and light up and take their eyes off the road and all of that. My dad in the 70s, I remember him driving up the motorway, rolling a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the 70s were mental. How do you help people quit, Andrew? 
Uh, there's a var- variety of ways. Some some people can find giving up very easily. Other people uh, smoke because it's a way of taking their mind off something else that's worrying them. Mm. It can be a distraction. Um, and whilst they're smoking, they feel a lot um, less stressed about whatever was causing them the anxiety. But then the minute they stop smoking, they go back to that emotion. So there is a whole world... Um, of people who will have distractions, anything from smoking, drinking, biting their nails, just having something to take their mind off what's bothering them. Uh, have you ever smoked, Andrew? Uh, no. Oh, okay. It's uh, I, I did, and it, it was um, I stopped with the uh, that Alan Carr book, not the the gap toothed comedian, the other fellow, and yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, and he changes uh, the, the, the trick that he used was changing your perception. So you don't think oh, I'm quitting. You, you think I'm stopping, and there is a subtle difference in those two words. Uh, Andrew, listen, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. Andrew Bendeffi, life coach in Hertfordshire. He thinks we should ban smoking in cars. It's obvious, isn't it? Anything that is a distraction in a car should be gone. And no, the radio isn't a distraction. Hunting around for CDs, that's a distraction. You, should, yeah, you shouldn't be allowed to root around on the floor trying to find your status quo greatest hits. Or your rumours. Uh, Esther's in Luton. Good morning, Esther. Good morning. To ban or not to ban? Ban, definitely. Why? Because, well, I'm an ex... Oh, I'm, I smoke now and again socially, but I used to smoke in my car. Whoa, hang on, Esther. What do you mean, what do you, mean you smoke now and again socially? Only now and again, like Christmas, the Café Creme ones, which you don't actually have to take, you just blow out like a cigar. Oh, Esther, <laughs> you're dirty! <laughs> a cri- oh, let's have a nice... It's Christmas, let's have a nice Christmas fag, shall we? Come on. Yep. <laughs> Go on, carry on. Anyway, I used to, used to smoke in my car, but I found my clothes to stink. Um, and also, with my grandchild being in the car now... Yeah. Oh, Esther? Esther! Yeah, if you open the window and you smoke... Come back into the car. Esther, we lost it, you. It, we lost you for a bit there. Esther, go on. You, we, uh, we just heard that you're, you're with your grandchild in the car. Yeah. If I had my my fourteen year old grandchild in the car and I smoked in the car, that smoke is not going to go out that window. That smoke is going to be blown in. It's yeah. common sense. You let open the windows. You let the air in. Um, now, do you remember that um, magician a few years ago, back in the day? He used to be in the waiting room with all these smokers, and he died of lung cancer through passive smoking. Well, a magician. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Uh, not Johnny Ball, it was another guy. Oh, Roy Castle. That's the one. He wasn't that's a magician, he was a trumpet player and a record breaker. But yes, yeah, I, that's I, him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> going back in time. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, he died of passive smoking. Well, he used to play nightclubs and stuff, and he'd be, be yeah. sucking in big lungfuls of air to blow his horn. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that killed him, yeah. Yeah, that killed him. So why should I be selfish as due to other people to that? I just think it's. And also, it takes your attention. Yeah, you're right, it does. Esther, you've got a 14-year-old uh, grandchild. Yeah. You don't sound old enough, by the way. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Do you not reckon that they've had a fag every now and then? <laughs> they've, they've, seen gran- they've seen Grandma having a little cheeky d- cigar at Christmas, and they've thought, oh, that looks good. I might, I might have... Cool. They're, four, they're 14. They probably have, haven't they? No, I won't. It's with my grandson around. There's no else smoking in front of him, okay. or with an idea. You don't, think, you don't think that he's maybe no. had a little, little one behind the bike sheds? Months. <laughs> <laughs> Esther, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much, Esther in Luton. Um, let's go to uh, John in Henlow. Morning, John. Good morning, sir. Should we ban? Oh, good morning. Thank you. Good morning to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Should we ban smoking in cars? I, I'm a non-smoker, yeah. and I think I've been persecuted. Sadly, two years ago, I lost my partner with severe lung. At the last twelve months, she was on oxygen all the while. But we could so of our local pub. People were smoking, and it affected her. And yet, especially Guy Fawkes night, 
it was deadly with her. We couldn't open the windows or doors, and people heard barbecues. And every time she nearly ended up in hospital. And yes, nothing is said about Guy Fawkes, all the smoke and everything. What, from the bonfires? Yeah, yeah. It, it was, I just dread it, I dread it. Is it, it really that bad? Yeah, it's, well, with, with her chest, yeah. Was, yeah. Oh, I dread, used to dread, dread it. I'm no, you know, I don't agree with bonfires at all. Well, I, I, I mean, the, the, the argument that the, the, the bonfires is slightly different from smoking is that, that, that smoking is uh, a nicotine, drugs are being pumped into there, nicotine and chemicals, and, and, and whereas the, the smoke from bonfires is just wood-burning smoke. Well, you don't know. In our village, we have bomb. You don't know what people put in bonfires, do you? What do you think they're putting in bonfires? Well, well anyway, put plastic cans, make them blazing, don't they? And oh. also, I'll say another thing, though, where a lot of people have got no smoke and have banned smoking. I wouldn't mention the place. I went to Hitchens, sat on the outside with her wheelchair, having a, a cup of tea and beverages, and... I've got a parking space near there, and car come rever- cars come reversing in, ex- exhaust was blown all over our food, and we had to move quickly. No, you, don't want, you don't want that, John. We're going off on a slight tangent. Thank you very much for your call, John in Henler. Uh, Jen says, why pick on smoking in cars? Driving half a tonne of metal up to 70 miles per hour is a serious responsibility. Anything except 100% concentration is potentially fatal. That lady's cousin, we had a caller earlier on, whose um, cousin was, was uh, left in a wheelchair after being hit by a truck where the guy was smoking. Could have just been, as easily been injured by someone changing a CD, checking a map. It's not the 80s. Turning to talk to their kids. Eating in cars per se isn't banned. It's all covered by driving without due care. But most people are just lucky enough to get away without getting caught or causing an accident. Well, you, you know, yeah, you're right. Changing CDs in cars is tricky. You shouldn't necessarily do it. T- turning around to talk to the kids in the back is ridiculous as well. Of course you shouldn't be doing that. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. It seems obvious to me that uh, smoking should be banned in cars. It, 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 it can't be a good thing. It's, it's distracting, it's dangerous, you drop your fag on the floor, you're in trouble, there's smoke going everywhere. Oh, I don't want to see that. It's not good in the slightest. If you disagree, could you give me a call? 08459 455 555. Or you can send me a text, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. Uh, don't forget, Mike Naylor is on Saturdays, 6 till 9 in the morning. You can join him every Saturday for fascinating guests with captivating local stories, a review of Saturday's papers, and music to get your weekend off to a great start. That's all with Mike Naylor, Saturday from 6am on BBC Three Counties Radio. Right, last hour of the show coming up. Plenty coming up. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Maybe speak to you after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Listener Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I, I suspect I'm getting a migraine. I tell you why: wonky eyes plus headache multiplied by yawning. That's a migraine. So if I start slurring my speech or even collapse on air, don't panic. I'm a professional. I've been through this before. I shall cope. If you got any tips for stopping a migraine? Man alive! Oh eight four five nine. Four double five, five double five. Coming up in the last hour of the show before JVS. A decision is due today on whether computer hacker Gary McKinnon should be extradited. His mum's from Hertfordshire and I'll speak to her next. Reporter Jenna Benson's been to see a pig farm in uh, 
gambling game. We'll find out why next. Oh, we go. I wasn't expecting to say that this morning. And as pressure mounts to ban smoking in cars, I ask, isn't it time we grew up, made a sensible decision and made it illegal? BBC Three Counties Radio. It's the story that's been going on for for years. A computer hacker will find out today whether the government will stop his extradition to the United States. Gary McKinnon, who has a form of autism, illegally accessed American military IT systems. He says he was looking for evidence of UFOs. Mr McKinnon's case has been highlighted by those who think extradition agreements between the UK and the US are unbalanced. His mother, Janice Sharp from Hertfordshire, has been campaigning tirelessly for over 10 years to stop him from being extradited out to the States to face trial. We've met her many times throughout the case and she's on the line now. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. How are you feeling this morning? I feel uh, optimistic uh, because the Home Office psychiatrists are now in full agreement with Gary's psychiatrist that uh, if extradition proceeded, that Gary would take his own life, not might or could, but would, and that they can offer no assurances whatsoever. So yes, I'm hopeful. And the Home Secretary uh, today has just introduced Forum, uh, which is an incredible change to the extradition treaty, uh, which means that anyone who is physically in this country when a crime was committed, they will be tried in this country or can be tried in this country. So that's quite amazing. Knowing that your son is a, a potential suicide threat... How does that make you feel, Janice? Terrified. Absolutely terrified. But it's because he never leaves the country. He never leaves North London, basically. Uh, he is... Um, it, he has asperger's. He, he's terrified of being away from his home and family. It's an absolute terror. Uh, and the Home Secretary can refuse to extradite on medical grounds, or she can allow Gary to plead via video link and accept a prearranged sentence, as she did in the case of American uh, Mr. Stanley Tolman, who was the head of uh, Chelsea Football Club. Either of these two options would be uh, save any horrendous thing happening. Janice, there might be some people listening who say, well, listen, Gary McKinnon, he did wrong. He hacked into American uh, high-profile websites. Of course he should be sent to the States. What would you say to them? I'd say, why don't we have equality with Americans? If an American commits a crime on American soil, they cannot be extradited. It is not allowed. They're automatically tried in their own country. Surely we, British people, have just as much rights as Americans and should be treated equally. Equality is how everything should be nowadays. You have to have equality. It's essential. And it looks as though that's what's happening. That's what's beginning to happen with this government. If Theresa May, and look, I would imagine it's pretty likely she's going to halt this extradition. That seems to be, I don't know, but that seems to be what's being hinted at. But if she allows the extradition to continue, what do you do next? Well, basically, uh, she can't, it would be sending him to his death. You can't get home office doctors saying he would take his own life, Mm. not could or might, that he will do as he has threatened, is what they said, and they can offer no reassurance whatsoever. She couldn't say, I'm sending Gary to his death sentence. And if she allows the ex-head of Chelsea Football Club, an American man, Mr. Tommy Tolman, to uh, actually be able to plead via video link, 
she couldn't then say, well, there's this uh, guy with Asperger's who uh, saw a neurologist when he was 16, has a grandmother with schizophrenia, and a great-grandmother had 50 years in a mental institution and died there, somebody who clearly has very significant mental health issues. How would that look? How would that look? No, I don't believe she'll do that. I think she's been working very hard, uh, obviously, uh, to change things and to put right a wrong that was done to us when this extradition treaty was signed. I mean, even Kenneth Clark says the extradition treaty was a mistake. David Blunkett, who signed it, said he gave too much away and he regrets it. And he wants Gary tried here. Uh, so clearly she's uh, gone to a lot of trouble to put right a wrong. Janice, have you spoken to Gary this morning? Yes, but he's terrified, really. I mean, it's it's been... We've had so many, as you know, ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, President Obama has spoken about it. David Cameron went to President Obama twice. So to have all of that, and we were elated and thought it was over with, uh, you're still, until we hear the words, uh, and then, but I mean, even if we hear the good news later, which I, I'm expecting to do, Gary is still going to need time to recover. It's going to take time. It's not going to be some automatic thing. Uh, it's been, Gary's served, I mean, we have 10 years and 7 months of living in terror, and it's like a sort of a, a, an emotional, a waterboarding of the mind, because you're elated, then you're down, you're elated with President Obama saying that, then you're down. This constant, uh, your, your hopes being raised to the heavens and then crashed to the ground is mental torture. It has to end. If, uh, just accept me straight exactly where we are in the case, if he doesn't get extradited, it, will he face trial here and could he still go to prison here? Yes, well that's what I was just saying. Yeah. What could happen is he could uh, plead via video link, as Mr Tolman was allowed yeah. to, uh, and accept a pre-arranged sentence. That's what happened in that case. Uh, or the Home Secretary can simply refuse to extract medical grounds and then it's up to the CPS to prosecute, which they were going to do in 2002. They wanted to because it was an open and shut case because Gary had admitted the intrusion, but they were told at the time from the very top to stand aside and let America deal with it. So, I mean, the, the ideal thing is either plead via get video link, get a pre-arranged sentence, mm. or uh, refusal and, and, and uh, medical grounds and a trial to happen here. The main thing is we've always accepted that uh, Gary can be tried. The main thing is not to be taken away from everything he knows. He never leaves the country. Has Theresa May given you any clues at all? Has she kind of sent you a little sneaky text last night saying, look, I can't say anything, but, you know, get yourself a bottle of champagne or anything like that? Or is it... No. <laughs> I wish. I absolutely wish. <laughs> Do we know what time her announcement's going to be today? Uh, well, it was going to be 2 o'clock, and I think now they're saying it may be 12.30. Okay. They said it's difficult to pinpoint because of parliamentary business, but uh, I wish she had, but she plays her cards very close to her chest, and I actually think that's helpful because I think in negotiations she doesn't give much away, and I think that's helped her achieve what she's achieved so far. Okay, well, listen, Janice, uh, as always, lovely to talk to you. I, um, I, I su su suspect we may be talking to you tomorrow when we find out what's happening. Thank you. Okay, there we go. That's uh, Janice Sharp who is the mother of Gary McKinnon. That has been going on for years and years and years. And I, I you know, I, I don't know what's going on. I would, be, I would be very, very surprised if Theresa May came out today and said, well, do you know what? Nope, he's off. We'll whack him on the plane and he's going tomorrow. I would be very surprised if that was the case. I suspect he should be uh, staying here, but we will follow that story. Today is World Food Day. 
a pig farmer in Sandy who owns the oldest herd of pedigree large white pigs. Yeah, that's what I said. The oldest herd of pedigree large white pigs in the country. He says he's losing two to three thousand pounds a month due to the rise in feed costs. Guy Kiddy, a third generation pig farmer and deputy chairman of the British Pig Association, says he fears adverse weather and cheaper imports could put the British farmer out of business. Jenna, spent, uh, Jenna Benson spoke to Guy at his farm in Gamlingay. Our feed costs have increased by about 25%, um, and unfortunately the price we're getting for our finished pigs has hardly changed. Although it's just started to move up in the last fortnight, um, but not by enough. At the moment it's going up by about two pence a kilo a week. Well, that's going to take us till nearly till next summer to be before we get you know, a sensible price for the pigs to make pig farming a viable um, living again. So 25% extra it's costing you to feed each of these pigs. Would it be fair to say you're, you're losing about £18 per pig? Yeah, we're, we're losing somewhere around that for each finished pig we sell to the abattoir at the moment. But to sell them, you have to feed them and breed them yeah. to get to the stage where they are ready to sell. So how much do you think, as a farm, that's costing you? It must be going into the thousands. Yes, it's costing us um, probably between two and three thousand pounds a month at the moment um, that we're we're losing because we're not getting a good return on the pigs. And unfortunately, pig production we can't. It's not like a factory production line. We can't just stop producing. It takes nine months from the time we first get a sow pregnant until her pigs are ready to go to the abattoir. So there's a, there's a nine month lead time. And you know, obviously, um, the pigs that are being born at the moment, um, those those sows were were put in pig four months ago so it's not because can't turn the tap off it's um, an ongoing process now the weather this year has been completely unpredictable and obviously that is going to affect the food prices the the amount it costs to buy the grain to feed the pigs have you noticed on the farm that the adverse weather this year has changed the way that you're farming yeah the weather has been interesting (laughs) to say the least this year it was very dry in the spring and it seems to have been wet ever since um with a pig pig herd where the virtually all the sows live outside it has been quite challenging uh, making sure the, the pigs are kept um clean uh, and dry and warm on this farm you've got three generations of pig farmers if this continues if next year it's going to cost you another say 25 percent to feed and breed these pigs how long do you think that you can keep going for uh, we can't keep going indefinitely like this, um, nor can any pig farmers. And you know, in the country as a whole, um, the amount of home-produced pork we we can eat is, is declining because um, the cheaper imports are putting the British pig farmer out of business. It's Jenna Benson talking to Guy Kiddy, a uh, pig farmer, um, who says he's losing lots and lots of money as the cost of food increases. BBC Three Counties Radio. Ooh. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting the travel bed, which we don't appear to have queued up. So we're going to go to uh, Sophie Tyler, Acapulco. Sophie, if you could do it, please. Thank you. Of course. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, it's 8.16. It's Tuesday the 16th of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The mother of Gary McKinnon, the man with Asperger's who hacked into American military computers, has told this programme she's optimistic the Home Secretary will block his extradition to the US later. The government is being urged to hold a fresh investigation into the proposed high-speed rail link in the wake of the collapse of the bidding process for West Coast Mainline. In sport, Stephen Gerrard returns from suspension to Captain England and win his 99th International Cup in tonight's World Cup qualifier in Poland. 
Weather coming up shortly with Steve. And also, it's emerged that hundreds of home care companies across the UK are employing workers who aren't properly qualified. We'll find out more before nine. Yeah. Jonathan Vernon Smith has come in. Look at you. Look, you've got your fo- your photograph shirt I'm, on, haven't you? I'm having my photos. Do I look good? I've had a shave. Oh, you look lovely. A little bit of eye makeup on. <laughs> no, of course yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I used to get bullied at school because my eyelashes were are so long and dark, and uh, people think I wear mascara. I don't. This is really? natural. Really? Oh. natural. Well, you're very lucky. <laughs> many, many women would love your eyelashes. Yes, I know. They've, they've tried to get them as well. Hands off, Have girls. they really? Yes. Gosh. What's on your show this morning, Jonathan? Coming up on the big phone in this morning, uh, very interested in your conversation with his mother. I'm asking yes. at nine, should Gary McKinnon be extradited? The Home Secretary will announce later, as we know, whether she will halt the extradition to the United States of Gary McKinnon, the British man who hacked into American military computers. The 46-year-old has Asperger's syndrome and has always maintained that he was just looking for evidence for UFOs. Well, his mother, Janice Sharp, who lives in Hertfordshire, as you know, you've just been talking to her, she's been fighting this for the last 10 years. She says it's left him in a very bad way. Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear your views on this. Should Gary McKinnon be extradited? Do you think that he needs to be tried on American soil because, frankly, he's admitted he committed a crime yep. against America? Is it only right and proper and we can't make exceptions for people just because of problems that they may have? Or do you think we have a duty in this country to look after vulnerable people, people that may go over to America and be treated in, a, in an appalling way because mm. of their different system? I want your views at nine. Should Gary McKinnon be extradited? 08459 Fine. The announcement's today about 12.30, we think. I th- it, it, Theresa May, would, it would be pretty unlikely she's going to say, send him over there, go on, put, put, put him in chains. I would have thought she's going to have to change her mind, isn't she? Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, they've, they sent off Abu Hamza, didn't yes. they? They were quite happy for Abu Hamza McKin- to go McKinnon's over. no Hamza, though, is he? No, he's not, but perhaps the government will think, well, if America yep. wants somebody enough, and if, uh, if someone has committed a crime against America, well, we can't go making one rule for one person, another for someone else. We've just got to ship anybody over to America if they want them. Do you know my greatest fear in life is being sent to prison for a murder I didn't commit. That's my biggest fear. I know, no, I know. I, I don't, well, ever, I, <laughs> I'll bake you a cake with a fire in, all right? Ever, I remember being quite young and being terrified that somehow I would get caught up in some kind of murder case and the evidence would point to me and I'd be going, no, I didn't do it, I didn't hang do on, it. Hang on a minute. Yes. You and I are going shooting together very soon. Don't start telling me this now. <laughs> I don't use tripping. Oops, I tripped. <laughs> Sorry. Shot JVS. Listen, I'm, I'm very good friends with Bill Buckley. He did an excellent job filling in for you. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'll try not to murder you, Jonathan. Is that can the you best please I can try do? not to? I'm worried now. I'll try not to. Gosh, this could be it. This could be you yeah. in prison on oh God, a murder if you, charge. If, if, if you do get murdered, on the, I know what's going to happen. They're going to play this recording in court. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I, I Hopefully I won't. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. See you later on. Ta-ta, always worth a listen. Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be on at nine o'clock, and if you want to get in touch with him, I suggest you can email him now. Now, hundreds of students across Beds, Hearts and Bucks are preparing to retake their GCSEs next month after changes in marking were made this summer. There are around 200 in Bedfordshire alone who'll retake English because they received disappointing grades. So now Bedford Borough Council has decided to take legal action. David Sawyer is in charge of education for the council. Good morning, David. Good morning. Why is the council taking legal action? Well, because uh, students across the borough have been treated extremely unfairly by the authorities that govern these examination grades. I mean, if you want me to explain what happened, in very simple terms... Yes, please. A a student who produced um, 
an exam paper in the January sitting yes. who got a C grade, if that same student did the, produced the same examination answers in the summer, uh, he or she would have got a D grade. And this is very significant because a C grade in English is a good pass and opens the, um, the door to opportunities in terms of A-levels, university, and, and employment. A D grade is not a good pass. It's not the standard the students are expected to get to and could have a, a significantly adverse effect in whether they get into the sixth form, whether they get to university, and ultimately whether they get the jobs that they want. David, what I don't understand, and maybe you can explain this, or maybe you can't, is why the exams that were taken in June that were marked a bit harsher, why they just weren't regraded to the same standard as the exams that were marked slightly lighter in January. Well, that's exactly what we've called for. But yeah. the, um, the examination boards and Ofqual, which is the government regulator that governs examination gradings, has refused to do this. And they've given really no good reason at all. And we are prepared to join other local authorities and take them to court to force them to regrade these student, uh, the examination papers and to give these students a fair chance. Do you think that's actually going to happen? Um, I think it'll happen unless um, Ofqual uh, ag- agree to do the regrading. But do, 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 I mean, do you think once you go to court, do you think it will, it will have any effect? Well, we wouldn't take on a case like this unless we felt there was a good chance of success. Yeah. How much is, the, is it all going to cost, the legal action? Well, we said we're prepared to spend up to £10,000. I mean, it, it's quite expensive to take these sort of cases to court. A number of the other local authorities involved are much larger. Manchester, Leeds, some of the London boroughs, they have far more students affected. And I think the, the cost will be shared in, in, in relative to the number of students. But still, it's £10,000 of taxpayers' money. But we feel it's, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's very worthwhile investing us because we must give our students a fair chance of uh, higher education and employment. David, there may be some people who are thinking, listen, £10,000, in the great scheme of things, it's not a lot. But what, when every Everybody is making cuts. Is it really a wise way to spend public money? Well, we thought very carefully, because I said a, a moment ago, um, you know, students get one education, one chance at sitting their exams usually, and they have a big impact on whether they get the whether they go to the university they want, whether they sit the subjects they want, and ultimately whether they get the jobs they want. We want to be fair to our students and give them a fair chance. Other councils in the three counties aren't taking legal action. Why do you think that is, and why are, why are you so different? Well, I haven't, I haven't checked all the local authorities in the three counties area. I've seen Central Bedfordshire on the list, but I wouldn't sort of sweat all, all the other ones. Um, well, we feel very strongly about education in the borough, and as I said, we, we want to do everything we can as a council mm. to make sure that our students succeed in their careers. How has it affected uh, the schools? It's affected them... Um, in, in a very big way. I mean, it's affected, less, it's affected the students in a very big way. These students were expected to get C grades, good passes. Suddenly, without no, any prior warning at all, and this is part of the unfairness of it, they got their, mm. opened their examination results and they got a D grade, which isn't a fail, but it's not a good pass. Mm. And the students were extremely disappointed. The schools have been extremely disappointed. And we want to back them up as, as their local council. GCSEs are on their way out in a couple of years, David, with, with the, the O-level or an exam very similar to it coming back. Do you think that's a, a move forward or a move backwards? Well, I think it's important that the exams uh, do challenge students and, and provide, if they pass some evidence, that they've uh, achieved a, a certain standard. Whether or not the uh, examination system will change, we're, we're not quite sure yet. David, let me talk to you. Listen, we should be following this story and see how it goes on. David Sawyer is in charge of education uh, for a Bedford Borough Council, and he'll be taking Ofqual to court. Uh, we have a statement from Ofqual, the exam regulation uh, regulators, who say we have responded to the pre-action letter and are rigorously defending our decisions. 
Our work to understand why some schools' results differed significantly from their expectations is continuing, and we will report them again shortly. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. We've been talking all morning. There are calls to ban smoking in cars, and it makes common sense, doesn't it? L- listen, particularly if you've got kids in the back of that car, you should not be smoking. If you're a parent and you're smoking with kids in your car, you are a terrible parent. You are a bad parent. You're smoking in front of your kids. You're a bad parent, particularly in cars. But even if you haven't got kids in there, it's not safe to be smoking in cars. You're not concentrating. You've got something in your hand. You wouldn't be holding anything else. Mal in Leighton Buzzard has texted in, Ian, smoking should be banned, as was the use of the phone, as the law says both hands should be on the wheel. And on Facebook, Jill says, yes, it should. I had a cigarette. Oh, really? I had a cigarette fly into my car from a driver throwing it out of his window. Oh, that's horrible. And Gary says, give people the rights, but find them hard like they do in the States for throwing cigarettes out of windows. That is horrible when you see someone chucking uh, a cigarette out of the window. That's really unpleasant. Talking about price rises in food as well. Because of the weather, there was, it was really rainy, then it was too dry, and basically wheat and everything is, is going through the roof. Have you noticed when you go shopping at the moment just how expensive everything is? It's incredible. Angela says, price rises, four pack of tins of tuna used to average three ninety nine. Now they're six ninety nine. An increase of three quid. Oh, that's incredible. Vic says, as a retired butcher, I think meat prices have increased the most. Talking about growing veg, my run of beans, best year yet. I'll send you some seeds if you want. Vic, I'm all right. That's very kind of you. What, one thing I've learned, and I learned it the hard way, is never, and, and I know seeds are slightly different, never accept food from a listener. Or I heard, I've heard stories about people accepting cakes and then being spiked with all kinds of nasty things. So, no. And also, Vic, I'm sure you're an honest gentleman, but I, I'm just thinking of that story we had last week about the couple that brought a cannabis plant and didn't realise that's what it was. Who knows what your seeds are, Vic? I have absolutely no idea what they are at all. You could be a very naughty man sending me some very naughty seeds. I'm sure you're not, but you never know. 30 minutes of the show left. If you want to get in touch, there are a few ways of doing it. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can call 08459 455 555. Or like some of the, the, the people we've just had getting in touch there. You can go on to the Facebook page. Go to Facebook find bbc three counties page and uh, uh, like us does that sound too desperate like us please i beg of you it's a good way of keeping in touch with the show and we post bits and pieces up there videos and clips and stuff like that call 08459 455 555 08459 455 555 bbc three counties radio Ah, last 30 minutes of the show, JVS will be on at 9 o'clock. Coming up in the last 30 minutes, how the closure of care homes is affecting you and Hajj celebrations begin. I don't know too much about Hajj. We've got some guests coming in and no doubt we shall find out quite a bit more. Now, with councils cutting budgets and a growing elderly population, there's a concern about the quality of home care that people will get in the future. In Luton, £8 million a year is spent on housing people in care homes. Our reporter Tony Fisher has spoken to 93-year-old John Charlish from Argyle Avenue in the town and asked him about the time his wife, who has Alzheimer's, first went to the Laurels Care Home, which then closed down. Well, it's terrible at first because she was put in a little tiny room with a bed against the wall. She wouldn't go in it. It took them weeks to get... She, she used to stay downstairs and they used to put wrap her up in a chair. 
Uh, it was a time. difficult transition for her from moving out yeah. of home with you yeah. to the care home, the yeah. Laurels. Yes. I mean, I think it is for any, anyone. I know they, they got dementia or she got Alzheimer's. I still know that in some way different. Did she have Alzheimer's when she went to the Laurels, though, yeah. or did she did? Oh, yeah. So you, you looked after her at home for two or three years, which yeah. must have been quite trying for you, yeah. and then eventually she went in a care home, yeah. which in a way must have been a relief for you? Yeah, I, I suppose it was. I'll never forget that day. They gave us some tea and they said, walk out. Well, walk out of here, walk out of home? Walk out of home. Was that quite distressing for you? Terrible. I mean, when she was uh, in there, she should say take me home, I don't like it here, you know, it's break my heart. But in the end, going to that care home was, was a better place for her at the time? Oh, yeah, well, I mean, she was properly cared for. I mean, she wouldn't wash the people used to come in here. The carers used to come and try and get her wash, she wouldn't wash. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes she'd go in the bathroom and cold them and get in there and try, try and wash her. But she's, it happens with people with dementia. Mm. Uh, I don't assume I bought it. But when, the, when she went to the laurels, did they eventually manage to get around to, oh, to, right. to persuade her that she needed to be washed? <laughs> they rang me up and said, she's had a bath. <laughs> <laughs> so she was all right then. And, yeah. uh, and then, of course, the laurels um, closed down. Yeah. When we heard that, all like mad. I, I, was, uh, I did that. I went on television... So you were very annoyed at the fact that that care home was well, closed and closing think, down. See, we think the Laurels, well, it is the best place because all the people in there, apart from one or two, had Alzheimer's. So the whole place was geared to care for people with Alzheimer's and they knew how to look after them. They... Mm. So that headline in the paper, Moving My Wife Could Kill Her, I mean, thankfully that hasn't happened, has it, John? No, as a matter of fact, it, she's better now than when she was. She's in a, a care home called Wycombe in Luton. Yeah. yeah. And, and that is equally good at caring for people with Alzheimer's dementia. Well, yeah, and uh, there is more people in there who have to be spoon-fed than in the Laurels, because she was probably the only one. And uh, So she's with more people who are in a similar state. Yeah, and, of course, the kitchen is geared for that, so they get, she gets a, a better variety of food in there. Mm. So in the end, it's worked out mm. all right for her. But quite stressful for you over the time, oh. having her move out of here, out of oh, your own no, home, into that care home, then that care home closing down. And she's 92, the same age yeah. as you. Yeah, but she's six weeks older than me. <laughs> Cheeky older woman. Tony Fisher there, speaking to John Charlish. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Now, Muslims across beds, hearts and bucks start their celebrations of Hajj this week. It's the time when pilgrims across the world travel to Mecca. But for those not making the spiritual journey this year, there are other ways to mark the start of the Islamic New Year. The community radio station in Luton, Inspire FM, is running a Twitter campaign for the next 10 days to encourage people to sign up to do a good 
good deed. And it's not just for Muslims. They want us all to take part. To explain more, I'm joined in the studio by Yasmin Akhtar from Inspire. Good morning, Yasmin. Oh, let, there we go. Let me turn, let's try again. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. We can hear you now. Why are good deeds associated with Hajj? Um, well, first, thank you for having us on. And um, yes, we are running a campaign for Hajj. And the Twitter hashtag for that is um, hashtag 10 days of Hajj. 10 is one zero days of Hajj, all in um, one word. Um, the reason why we're running this campaign is to give Muslims a chance who aren't going abroad for the pilgrimage, mm. an opportunity to feel the vibe of Hajj. And also, we feel that the vibe of Hajj is something that's absolutely universal and it would make all of us, um, it's something that we can all get involved with regardless of our level of religiosity mm. and whether or not we are from the Islamic tradition because ultimately the spirit of Hajj is about unity and it's about the wider social um, good, which means that we all hold a stake in that so why not do something together to give it that larger impact? As an agnostic how is Hajj beneficial for me? Um, I think really to look at the spirit of uh, an opportunity and the Hajj is a time in, of the year where people are thinking more spiritually those that do have a spiritual connection mm. and anyone can feed off of that I mean anyone can um, take from the good spirit of something so I think it's more about that, I don't think Hajj itself is going to um, be a, a pull for you for this campaign mm. but definitely the elements behind Hajj and the opportunities for linking in with other people for example through the campaign where uh, working with Help the Aged so we can have people visiting visiting the elderly. We're working with local day centres and the L&D hospital, Feed the Homeless. So everyone holds a stake in their wider community and the social aspects mm. of our community. So not necessarily, I'm not asking anyone to go on a pilgrimage or do anything ritualistically Islamic, um, but I mean, in our society we have lots of good and a lot of that good comes from strong Christian values that uh, were really embedded in these countries and the West before. So we don't reject those just because they come from that tradition. And people will be doing good deeds. Is that normally associated with Hajj? Well, um, hopefully everyone should be encouraged to do good they deeds. Be doing good deeds all the time. <laughs> all the time, absolutely. But I think it gives you that heightened um, sense of really wanting to get in there and, you know, get all your points during Hajj and make sure that you get all that extra reward which is promised. And like I said, feel the spirit of Hajj because um, we'll also be showcasing various stories of people that have been on Hajj mm. on Inspire FM which is 101.5 um, and it's a kind of run across Bedfordshire but mainly in Luton uh, and we will be showcasing the stories and you'll notice I've spoken to lots of people who've been on Hajj and the one thing they come back with is this really really amazing deep sense of responsibility towards mm. everyone around them their society as a whole so we're trying to find a way of instilling that attitude in mm. people at home If our listeners want to get involved what, what mm. can they do? Well lots of things so uh, the best thing to do in getting involved is follow the hashtag so you'll have to follow, follow at Inspire FM Luton on Twitter and then the hashtag is hashtag 10 days of Hajj we're running the campaign between the 16th and the 26th of October so pretty much from the word go we're starting on 101.5 and the first show is tonight at 7.30pm mm. and each day there'll be a show dedicated to the 10 deeds uh, or the 10 days of good deeds um, and each show will have a special guest whether that's um, helping the aged whether that's someone from 
Luxembourg Council supporting work or, you know, different centres and environment calls, etc. And if you just listen in on 101.5 FM, you'll get to hear about what is that random, that day's random act of kindness. Mm. Um, and if you follow the hashtag, lots of those will be showcased. So it's about picking up different people's deeds, being inspired by it and dipping in your own as well. Now, when you say random acts of kindness, what, give, give me a couple of examples. Okay, well, visiting your neighbour if you've not seen him or her or the family for a long time, yep. maybe make them something nice, giving up your seat on the bus, something as small as that, to actually going out of your way to set up a, a, a People don't give up their seats on buses or trains anymore. <laughs> I did it the other day. A, a, an elderly lady got on, and I, I got, there were people nearer her than me, right. but no one got up. I got up and gave her my seat. I got really suspicious looks from people. That's really kind of you. I have experienced that before, but again... That's just good manners, Well, though, this is, the, that, this is great. These, these are opportunities that we use to revive all the brilliant traditions that we have in our community. Mm. Any, any excuse you can get to revive the best of yourselves is an absolutely brilliant opportunity, and Hajj really gives us that focus. Why is Hajj so significant in the Muslim calendar? Hajj is massively significant, and it has a very long-standing traditional mm. um, kind of element to it, not just from the time of Prophet Muhammad, who was the final prophet, according to Islamic beliefs, but from, all, from, from since the time of Abraham, who was mentioned in scriptures before the Quran. So um, that holy place, the, the, the Makkah, is really, really significant. People make uh, what we call dwarf around it and circulate it, mm. and kind of it's an opportunity for them to cleanse themselves and start afresh and kind of reestablish that real connection with God. And it's a reality check. It's a spiritual mm. check, you know, um, which is why this campaign is important, because we're trying to give us some sense of that spiritual check without being there. Have you made the pilgrimage before? I've not. I, I'd really love to make it. I really? know lots of people that have. Yeah. Is, is, am I right in thinking that, that all Muslims are kind of required to do it at least once in their life? Um, depending on means right, um, okay. and whether you can afford to to make the Hajj. And then there's uh, levels of priority. So, for example, um, feeding your family is uh, the most essential thing right. um, and kind of contributing to your uh, absolute kind of rights and fulfilling your obligations. Mm. And as long as you've done that, then yes, Hajj would definitely be up there in terms of something that you'd want to do in your life. So thank you very much for coming in. Uh, best of luck with the campaign and getting people just people doing nice things that's that's good enough isn't it that, that'll be lovely that'll be nice and I think most importantly linking it together yeah. because you know there's power in numbers so if we all do nice things for those 10 days and we link it up using the hashtag that'll really give it that emphasis and larger impact so hashtag 10 days of Hajj um, for, uh, and you'll have to sign up or say uh, join sorry my Twitter language isn't all there <laughs> this morning uh, wait, it, was, it, was, it was like t- my grandparents tried yeah, to explain Twitter I'm the same thing. I, I can't speak in Twitter. Well, speak. it's at Inspire FM Luton, which is the Twitter account. You uh, follow us. That's the word. You follow us on Twitter well and hashtag 10 Days of Hajj. Yasmin Akhtar, very nice to meet you. Thank you Thank very much. Thank you very much. much for coming in. Yasmin Akhtar from uh, Inspire. We're talking, moving up, we're going from bouncing all over the place like a crazy pinball. Uh, we're talking about uh, banning smoking in cars. Let's go to David in Hemel. Good morning, David. Good morning. Uh, what's your take on this? Should we ban smoking in cars? I don't see. We've got bigger problems in this country instead of worrying about smoking in cars. I'm 65. When I don't smoke. When I was a kid, parents smoked in the house like chimneys. I can remember sitting there watching television on a Sunday yes. where they watched the movies and smoke curling down from the ceiling and waving my arms around, making the smoke 
go around and my dad blowing smoke rings. I remember going to the cinema. There was smoke. You could see it curling past where the projector projected the beam of light to the screen. Yeah. It didn't do me any harm. I'm 65, fit and healthy, cycle every weekend. Well, good for you, but not everyone's that lucky. Well, is that luck? Well, yeah, because some people are more predisposed to, to getting lung conditions. Well, I should have got it by now, the amount of smoke that I was in, and I work around people everywhere. Every, every office I ever worked in, they smoked, and they work around me now smoking. But as I say, some people are more predisposed... I lungs. Yes, no, some people are more predisposed to lung conditions, so you've been lucky. Well, well done. Well, but what about those people that aren't so minority. lucky? Well, maybe they're the minority. But I'm just making a counter-argument. As I say, I'm not speaking to smokers, but I can't, I can't see there's a big David deal. David and Hemel, thank you very much indeed. A computer hacker will find out today whether the government will stop his extradition to the United States. Gary McKinnon, who has a form of autism, illegally accessed American military IT systems. He says he was looking for evidence of UFOs. Mr McKinnon's case has been highlighted by those who think extradition agreements between the UK and the US are unbalanced. His mother, Janice Sharp, from Hertfordshire, has been campaigning tirelessly for over 10 years to stop him from being extradited out there to face trial. We spoke to her earlier on in the show. Well, Ga- uh, Karen Todner is Gary McKinnon's lawyer, and she joins us now. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. Do you expect Gary's extradition to be halted? I certainly hope so. Um, when David Cameron and Nick Clegg were in opposition, they were very vocal in their support for Gary. And uh, Nick Clegg said it would be morally wrong to extradite him. And uh, David Cameron said there was no compassion in him extradited. So I'm really hoping that the governments are now going to come through and, and fulfil their promises that they made. There were some, will be some people uh, thinking, well, listen, hang on. He broke the law. He hacked into American computers. Why should we be stopping him being sent to the US to face uh, justice? Because he's British and the offences took place. And there were offences. Gary doesn't deny that. Mm. But the offences took place in the UK. He was uh, arrested and interviewed by British police, was fully cooperative and could and should be prosecuted here. Also, please don't forget that he's autistic, that he has uh, chronic depression, and that Theresa May has very powerful medical reports prepared, both by us and by uh, the psychiatrists that she's commissioned to prepare reports, saying that he will, uh, you know, that he will commit suicide if he was extradited. Well, as we were saying earlier, we heard from uh, his mum earlier on, and she thinks that he will kill himself if he's extradited. Is is that looking likely that 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 could happen if he does go over to the states? Oh, I don't think Gary McKinnon will ever set foot in the United States because I think the day that I have to ring him and say, that's it, the legal process is over, I have no doubt in my mind that he will commit suicide. I think if Theresa, if Theresa May says today he has to go, um, I think that's equivalent to signing a death warrant. Is that fair to put that on Theresa May's shoulders? Uh, well, she's the Home Secretary and it, you know, it, it's not a threat because it's, someone, it's coming from someone who's autistic, who is chronically depressed and actually... That's just how it is. I mean, that's that's reality of what the situation is, and she needs to deal with that reality. Have you spoken to Gary today, Karen? Not today, no. Uh, but when, when was the last time you spoke to him? Um, I mainly speak to his mother. Um, right. I have I spoke to him last about uh, two or three months ago. I mean, he's, he's he has a terrible life. He lives in his flat in North London. He lives in the dark most of the time. He's crying a lot. He's you know in a terrible place. It's. It- it's pretty likely it's going to go your way, isn't it? Everything seems to be indicating that. How confident are you? Um, I want to be confident, but at the same time, you know, I do have, you know, I do have worries because it's been a long, long battle, and there's been, you know, it's been a real roller coaster. This case, you know, we've had moments where we thought that's it, we're, we're home and dry, and then other times that you know we've been crushed. So, you know, I don't, 
want to get my hopes up too much, but I, I can't believe that the government would go back on their promises they made that were so, you know, they were so clear when they were in opposition. Uh, Karen, I'm sure we'll speak to you again later on in the week. Karen Todner, uh, Gary McKinnon's lawyer. A decision is being made. We hear it's going to be around about 12.30. Uh, or an announcement is going to be made. The decision, I'm sure, has been made uh, already as to whether he is going to be extradited to the US. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. We were talking about uh, whether smoking should be banned in cars or not. Uh, there are calls to ban it in cars. It, it, it makes common sense, doesn't it? If you're being distracted by having to light a cigarette or get a cigarette out of a packet, that can't be good while you're driving. And also, you, you've got something in your hand. You should have both hands on the wheel. Um, we've had a text. Ian, smoking should be banned, as was the use of phone. Oh, we've had that one already, yes. Uh, we have. Um, yeah, we've, I think we've read those ones, yes, we have. Ian, give people the right, but fine them hard like they do in the States for throwing cigarettes out of windows. Uh, that's Gary, who's commented on the Facebook page. And you can go on the Facebook page if you want. Go to Facebook, find BBC Three Counties Radio, uh, uh, and sign up. Um, and then you can uh, j- uh, join in the conversation and the debates there. And we often post little bits of video and little bits of audio and, and things like that that perhaps you don't get to hear on the show. Uh, we can go now to Professor John Britton, who is from the UK Centre for Tobacco Control. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. What exactly is the UK Centre for Tobacco Control? Uh, for Tobacco Control Studies, a research centre. It's uh, a, a link or a group of 10 universities in the UK interested in tobacco research research and policy. What do you think about banning smoking I- in cars? Is, is sh- should we do it? I think we should. The evidence that's been published today uh, just demonstrates how high levels can be in a car, and, and clearly that is a threat to the health of a child travelling in the car. Yeah. But we've argued previously that the similar problem occurs for work vehicles many it's common to see work vehicles go by where somebody is smoking and usually a a young sort of apprentice or or labor in the car in the van is is also being exposed to smoke and can almost certainly do nothing about it um and of course the highway code is pretty strong in saying you shouldn't be doing things that distract from concentration on driving so for various reasons we've argued that smoking in cars should stop we had a call earlier on from someone who said that his parents He's 65. His parents smoked. He grew up in an era when everyone smoked. There was smoke everywhere. Hasn't affected him. What do you make of that? Um, Well, my grandfather survived the First World War, but I wouldn't say the First World War was a particularly (laughs) safe place to go. That's a very good argument. Um, The thing is, he's been fortunate, but the likelihood is that his exposure to smoke has impacted on him, but just to a fairly modest degree. But there are other people for whom that's not the case, and that passive smoking and active smoking has a huge impact on their health. Passive smoking is real, isn't it? Because there are some people who would argue that passive smoking is a myth. There is no evidence that if you're having a cigarette and I'm nearby, it has any effect on me? Uh, That's completely wrong. There are very few uh, people with any uh, information or awareness of the the health, uh, potential health hazards of of passive smoking who would agree with that statement. There's very clear evidence that passive smoking is harmful to adults and children, and especially children. It causes something like 150,000 new cases of of disease in children every year, and it kills 40 children from sudden infant death syndrome. It's it's no joke. It's it's a real threat and we need to do something about it. Uh, listen, I'm completely on your side. I think we sh- it should be banned in cars. But there are people listening to this now who are saying, hang on a second, L- human rights, you're taking away my human rights, stop 
picking on the smokers. Yeah, human rights argument works as far as what the smoker is doing affects the smoker alone. But as soon as a cigarette smoke transgresses into somebody else's private space or impact on somebody else's health, it's also a human rights issue for that person. If that person is a child, that... Oh, Professor? We seem to have, uh, he's been silenced by the... Hello? Oh, hello, you're back. Sorry. You disappeared. Um, sorry, I was just saying, it's, the human rights issue applies so far as the smoking doesn't impact on anybody else. As soon as it does impact mm. on somebody else's health, it's an issue for that person too. And if that other person is a child, then the child's rights have to take precedence over the adults. Smoking in homes? Should we ban that? It'd be very difficult to ban legally, um, but smoking in homes is, is a much bigger health hazard. And part of the reason for arguing for uh, change in policy in cars is that we know that when you introduce new public policy like that, lots of smokers look at their behaviour and think, well, if I shouldn't smoke in my car, I probably shouldn't smoke in the home as well. We've seen a big reduction in smoking in the home over the last ten years, and we want that to continue. Professor, don't you miss, though, the smoky pubs? Uh, I certainly don't miss coming home in the at night, smelling of smoke, and then having to clean my clothes the next day or wash them because they stink of smoke. No, I don't miss that at all, and I'm not sure that very many people out there do either. Professor John Britton, thank you very much. From the uh, UK Centre for Tobacco Control. Mike is in Bedford. He texted him. We've got him on the phone now. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, good morning, Ian. I think you just need to look at the ceilings of anybody who smokes or a family that smokes. You'll see the colour of the ceilings, and it's in vehicles as well. If you go in a vehicle that's got a light-coloured um, material on the roof, you can see mm. that there's smokers in there. So to me, it's muck, you know, coming out, sticking, tarry. It looks a tarry, filthy colour sort of thing, yeah. I moved into a home where there'd been a family of smokers, and it was like when I, I thought they'd painted their ceiling brown. Yeah. When I washed it down, it was clearly white, you know. Isn't that, you're, you're absolutely right, and um, I don't really know anyone who smokes anymore, but in the 70s and 80s, I remember I, all my grandparents' houses, the walls and the ceilings were sort of dirty yellow. <laughs> you're right, Ian, you're very right. It's the colour of the 70s. Mike in Bedford, thank you very much indeed. Well, there we go. I think most of us have agreed. That smoking in cars is ridiculous. There's a couple of you who, who, who kind of disagree and think that perhaps uh, we should be allowed to do that. But it, it, it would seem that uh, it would seem that there's no common sense in it at all. It's dangerous. It's um, uh, particularly if you've got kids in. I say I saw this car yesterday. I stopped at traffic lights. There were two parents in the car. The dad had a fag on. The mum had one in her mouth that wasn't lit. There was a little kid. He was two and a half tops in the back seat of the car. I felt so, so sorry for him. Uh, we've been talking about World Food Day today. If you go to the Facebook page, um, I keep plugging this this morning, and, and with good reason, Facebook.com, uh, and find the BBC Three Counties page. You can see Sophie, uh, the pictures of the turkey farm that Sophie went to this morning. Yeah, imagine that. We sent our reporter, Sophie Solaria, out to a turkey farm at six o'clock in the morning. That's the kind of harsh people we are. And we don't care. There's also pictures of the pig farm that we focused uh, on as well. And we always put up little pictures and little clips and bits from the show, and sometimes we put some videos up there as well. So do go and have a look. That's it. That's your lot from me. Back tomorrow at six o'clock with more of the same old nonsense. Do stick around there because after nine, Jonathan Vernon Smith will be talking about Gary McKinnon. Till tomorrow, ta ta. Getting beds, hearts, and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.